Backlog episode number 34. I am your host, Josh Gallegos, joined this week. Surprise, surprise, with the casual, by the casual, joined with, joined with the casual, Jared Benson. And of course, he is joining me from the great state of Oakley, homie, which he is planning to leave at some point in the future and heading back to Connecticut. Jared, what is the uh, plan for that? What's the, what's the, how's that looking for you guys? Are you excited about that? Um, I know it's going to be a big change for you guys. So, uh, how's that, how's that going? How's that planning going? Uh, it's, this, the decision has been made officially. We'll be gone by the end of September and, uh, we'll be moving up to Connecticut, uh, to be near family for a while. Uh, probably at least until my two youngest brothers graduate high school, probably. Um, just because, you know, of course, you know, I actually text my sister today. I was like, what's up with you? And she was like, I'm just excited. You're being, you're going to move back up here. I've been waiting for this for five years, very tight with my family. Um, so it's going to be a good change of pace and, uh, uh, looking forward to it. So uh, the summer will be spent here and then we'll be on our way at the end of September and be back near family. So it's going to be great. Nothing like being around family. That's one thing I miss over here in Florida. Like, we don't have any close family near us, and there are moments, you know, um, where it would be nice to have people that you can rely on in a pinch, and it's not like we don't have friends, but it's just, it's, family's a whole different level, you know. Um, and we're about to have a kid. I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast, but Karina is very pregnant, and we are about to have a little daughter, and during those sorts of times, you know, Having family around oh, yeah. is awesome, and and having you know those built-in babysitters is just a huge help. And we we won't have that infrastructure of support, which is fine. I think we'll be just fine. Um, but it is exciting. It's exciting to be back now. I wonder though, do you feel like it's because I, I know for me, like sometimes going back home to Colorado, it feels like it's like, oh, I'm going back to the old times in a way of like, not like regression of myself, but it's almost like it feels too easy or like too comfortable. I feel like I can get lenient there. Are you concerned about anything like that? No, because it's been five years since I left for, well, let's say, no, four years of college and then three years on my own. So closer to seven years of uh, being away from home and a lot has changed. Uh, My room is no longer existent. The house looks different. Renovations. uh, The church is different. Um, The the people that I was friends with there, I'm no longer friends with, or, you know, I just don't, either they moved away and they've been replaced by new friends, you know, things change. And so it will feel like a new place when I get back. To be honest with you, I'm most excited to bring Lucy back because I cannot wait to show her the best that New England has to offer. Um, Mm. Mystic, Connecticut, Newport, Rhode Island, Providence, the fire festival in the summers, um, the kite festival in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, maybe Bar Harbor, Maine, uh, Bahaba as they call it, Um, you know, (laughs) Boston, New York City, Broadway, all of the good stuff that New England has to offer that the rest of the world doesn't have. Um, I'm I'm excited to, sh- you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, the, sure. there's new, uh, picturesque New England countryside winters, stuff like that. So I'm super stoked to be sharing that 
um, side of the country now that I'm adult and have adult money. Because, you know, things are different when you grow up in an area. You're relying on your parents' interests and money. You can't just do your own thing, um, you know, unless you grew up very differently than I did. But um, so I'm excited to experience it as an adult, if that makes sense. So it'll be, I think, different enough that um, it'll it'll be fresh, surprisingly. Returning home will be fresh, so... Good. Yeah. Well, of course, this is the Hall of Games, Jared. The ever-growing catalog of video games that have been given the honor of being a part of said hall. The the greatest, the greats of gaming. And uh, we are the uh, verifiers and subsequent executioners of any candidate that might make it into said hall. We are working through our backlog. Bard's Backlog is another name for this podcast. Um, and that includes today's particular pick. So last time we talked about Elden Ring, two full meaty episodes. Go and check out those particular conversations. I think that we covered it fairly well. Um, I still think that there's a lot you could talk about. That's a, that's a mine that can be dug into for, uh, many, many days. You know, I think you could make a whole from software podcast. I've said that before, but I do truly believe that. And Elden Ring is more fodder for that particular kind of machine for today, though, we're going to be talking about ghost of Tsushima, which of course you could tell by clicking on the title of this podcast. If you want to support us, you can give our social media posts a like if we post there, uh, give us five star reviews on Apple podcasts. It's a great way to do it. Tell a friend about us, ask us questions, ask VGB at gmail.com is our email, or you can reach out to us over social media in person, whatever way you feel so inclined snail mail. I'd love some snail mail, although I don't <laughs> want to put my particular address out yeah, there necessarily, yeah. uh, but maybe a Dropbox or something. I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, this is, of course, the Hall of Games. And for today, Ghost of Tsushima is the title. Jared, in lieu of that, in that spirit, you know, we're talking about a historical period. We're talking about a game that is inspired by it. So here's my question for you, Jared. If you could live in any historical era... Which one would you choose and why? And you're not allowed to choose today, all right? That's the go-to answer, right? Everybody says, why would I ever choose any other time frame than the time frame of AC and internet and cars? So you can't choose that, okay? Let's say the cutoff is 1980, all right? You can go any time past that, but what would you say? I would be a um, rancher in the West uh, in the 1800s, late 1800s, um, I would be a cowhand and, you know, go to the square dances and sing the, the real life version of the Oklahoma musical. I would, that's what I would do because the, the, the golden, like, well, I want to say like 60 to 80 years of the cowboy era, it really didn't last very long. People don't realize that it was quickly followed by the technology that came from the East coast and, you know, pincer attack from the West Coast as well that kind of swallowed up the country and to move it on to modern era times. So it wasn't a very big era, but that's where I would go back to. Um, I'd probably end up dying of cholera, but whatever. Um, <laughs> that, that I would I would want to be a cowboy for a while. And Josh, I know you got a good answer. Are you going to... So this, statistically, the most likely answer to that question is actually the 50s. People have this like whatever version, hmm. they, they just love this era of the 50s. Um, and I, I don't know why, but what would you say, Josh? I think, you know, I think if, if I could live a full life, I'd go into the Roman era. 
Um, I'm not exactly sure where I'd pop in there, but there's a lot of cool connectivity that the world had never experienced before during that time. And a lot of advancements in technology. Obviously, it's nothing close to what things are now, but um, that would be fun. Totally different culture, totally different lifestyle. Uh, Obviously, you've got a mix of all sorts of different beliefs and a lot of very violent, brutal things that occurred. I would not want to be a gladiator, but I would love to go and watch it. Um, So if I could have my ideal life within that time frame, I think I'd say that. Uh If I didn't, like if I had to make my own way, um, and I really had to like work hard on my own, then it would be something in the U.S. history. And I think my choice would be like going through the independence. Uh, mm. So that frame of time when they were obviously still colonists, but very much becoming independent. People are starting to think of themselves as Americans. And then, of course, breaking off from the empire and then forging a new path. It's such an exciting time, which is right before what you said. You know, that's right before Uh people started to expand Uh out west. So um, kind of all mixed in. Um, I'm reading a book right now on Andrew Jackson, who is my favorite president, and he's very much from that era. He's a guy who was young during the War for Independence. He... Uh, One of his brothers died during it, and uh, he then also lived through the expansion into the West. I mean, he was a pioneer himself. He was in one of the very first Western states there in Tennessee, and um, so he he very much embodied that time frame, whether you like it or not, Um, and I think that'd be a fun, fun time to live. Of course, you do have to deal with all the horrible things like people leeching each other. Um, They used to do, like, boiling where they thought that like maybe the corruption of your sickness was like within your skin, and if they would just press a hot piece of metal to your forearm um, and cause you to boil, and they try to do that on different parts of you, primarily appendages, um, then if they broke that boil, perhaps that would release the corruption. So like those things are awful and horrible. <laughs> so wow. like there's a lot to like about modern times, but. Uh, I think I'd say that. And, you know, I think depending on the day that you ask me to, it totally changes. I mean, I'm a history guy, so it does kind of come down to what I'm learning about. And right now, I am. that is kind of the mindset I've been in as I've been reading this book. Um, But nonetheless, Jared, our first segment, as always, is the games we play in. Has your gaming life been, my friend? Has it been vibrant and luscious, or has it kind of whittled down and and been in a dry season? Anything like that? How's it been for you? No, uh, well, I don't know. I guess dry season. <laughs> you know, it's funny because for this segment, when we first started off, um, I would almost always, you know, try to play as many games as possible before the podcast, but. But typically, I find myself um, trying to play games that are comparable to the main title. So I've been playing two games primarily. I've been playing uh, our title, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, and I've also been playing Sekiro. Um, we had a conversation briefly over text uh, a couple of days ago about the comparisons between the two games. So I've been I bought Sekiro for the PlayStation because it was half off, um, and it's always worth a purchase. But it was definitely worth one because it was half off. 
Um, so I've been playing that a little bit, and I still hate Seven Spears, um, Ashina, whatever his name is. Um, mm. I hate that guy. Um, but yeah, no, I've been playing Sekiro, and um, and uh, gonna pick up some uh, some Mario games here soon. Maybe maybe some Smash Brothers here and there with a friend. And uh, I think we're gonna have some friends over next week and do Mario Party because they just got a Nintendo Switch, so they're into it. So um, just, uh, a variety of games that have already played. Uh, how about you? Anything fresh, new, exciting? I have been on the hunt for a new game. Mm. And this is actually something we'll talk about this a little bit more in the default segment, but I've been jumping around and trying to figure out what sticks. You know, I think a shooter has been appealing to me. I've been playing a lot of Fortnite, actually, and really enjoying it. Dude, Fortnite, they have improved on levels that I have been just excited and surprised to see. Um, It is a very polished game at this point. And last time I played it, obviously... We've covered it in the podcast. Yeah. We have it. It's in the Hall of Games, so we've we've recognized it. But since then, you know, it's it's just gotten better. Like they've they've really uh, polished it. They've added a bunch. Of course, it's this ridiculous hodgepodge of everything pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it reached. I think at this point, it's reached a level of absurdity that it's okay. Like there was a period of time there where I was rolling my eyes at the fact that they were adding Ariana Grande. You know. Um, but now I'm like, yeah, shoot. Like I can I can shoot Drake in the face and then turn around and also shoot Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Um, <laughs> and at the time that I've been playing the season, they have this whole thing going on with Darth Vader on the map. Yep, and that's kind of that. cool. Yeah. Um like depending on if you accidentally go where he is, and sometimes I have found myself like happening upon his little encampment and he just hunts you. And it's like actually legitimately terrifying. So <laughs> There's a lot going on with it. There's all kinds of added stuff. They added, like, climbing. The The way that the game feels is so much more... Um, yeah. And maybe it's just me, like, just appreciating it more now, but it does feel a lot more smooth. Yeah. Uh, it feels a lot more satisfying to pull off specific things. Um, and they just got all kinds of fun stuff going on. Obviously, like, it is ridiculous. But I've been having a really great time just jumping in and... and you know, taking out some noobs from time to time. Yeah. So that's been a nice little kind of, you know, if I don't know what else to play, it'll scratch that itch. But I've been jumping into games like Returnal. Um, I tried out the Guardians of the Galaxy game for a little bit, which was interesting. Um, Obviously playing Ghost. Uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands has also Mm. been my shooter fix. But each of these games, Jared, like I'm, I'm, enjoying the top layer of them but i'm not going Mm. further into the dip and it's just because none of them have been grabbing me i do want to say and this was something i was going to bring up a little bit later but i think now would be a fine time because then it doesn't take away from what ghost actually is but i feel a lot of open world fatigue right now in Mm. my gaming i see and and tiny tina doesn't help with that i love borderlands and i i do feel like a shooter is right up my alley right now but it does have it's more open level than open world but it is definitely still close enough to that that i'm like meh like i'd rather play something that's i I don't know dude like and and that's i'm searching right now like i'm searching to find my next obsession and i haven't quite found it yet but it is it is interesting to see like 
I was all Elden Ring for the first part of the year. Yes. And an all open yes. world. I mean, I had to play a little hours. bit of Horizon yep. before that. Yeah. Um, and we're playing Ghost now. So, like, I'm still getting a little bit of that. But I'm ready to kind of just put that aside and, and do different genres and, and just different types of games. And, um, like I said, still searching. Haven't quite knocked on the door that has borne the fruit that I'd like. Uh, but that's been my experience the last few weeks. It's summertime, so I've had a lot more time to experiment and jump around. I will say, Returnal, dude, uh, I would be curious to see how you responded to Returnal. Do you have PlayStation Plus? Uh, I do, yes. So you might, I don't know what tier of it you have, but you might have access to Returnal. That's the way I've been able to play it. Same with Guardians, uh, the Guardians game also, which is a little bit too narrative heavy for my taste. And it's also a little bit too much like the movies Mm. as well. So that's why I bounced off of it. I do kind of feel when I'm playing Guardians, like there is a really great game there. I just haven't been hooked. Uh, Mm. But Returnal, man, it's a, it's a roguelike. So it's got that loop like a Hades. Um or like a, a, a Moonlighter, but it's hard. It's freaking hard. And it's a third-person shooter, so over the shoulder, like a Fortnite. Um, but it's fast-paced. It's made by Housemark, which they're known for, like, arcade really beautiful visuals, and they bring that all here. It really shows off the PlayStation 5's capabilities in just, like, as you're, you're on an alien planet and you're running around shooting all these different creatures, but they're like shooting beams at you and they're all bright and colorful. And that's just like visually pleasing, but it is kicking my butt over and over and over. And it's a different kind of difficulty than a from software game just because it's a shooter. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know the best way to explain that, but it is just a little bit of a different kind of skill that you need. So I have not quite gotten it yet, (laughs) Uh, but that's been fun to play, but very frustrating. And the other thing about that game is that each run can go really long. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not short. So if you put in a whole run, you've already put in a 40 minute session. And at that point you feel very hesitant to play another session. At least that's how I've responded to it. So I haven't gotten fully obsessed with it, but nonetheless, that is my my situation right now and i think that's a great actually uh transition into our next segment uh the default segment
uh, in our default segment each week we just take some conversation it has no real uh theme at all and we 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 pose questions we bring up fun games on occasion this week though jared i wanted to ask you for your advice here um i feel like i've been this last i'd say three or four years kind of an unhealthy gamer um in that i desperately want to play everything like that feeling of FOMO is real. I'm at the point in my life where as an adult, I have a lot of disposable income so I can get what I'd like. <laughs> so I get on to the store itself and I get all these things on sale and I have this massive backlog now of all these games but because there's so many and I feel like I have so limited a time, which is also another reality of being an adult. You know, I'm working full time and so I only have brief snippets in the evening when I'm not taking care of other household chores or spending time with my wife or whatever to actually game. Um, and it's, I think it's unhealthy because I'm at this point now where I want to play everything and, and instead I play nothing. And, and I've, I felt that this last month, like I, I just in very shallow ways, I'll play a good handful of titles, but I won't ever dedicate myself to one experience, which was not what it was like playing games growing up. And so I want to ask you, do you think that that's unhealthy? And then if it is, what do you think are some ways to fix that? No, it's just burnout um, because every good game feels the same. Um, all of the best games utilize the same mechanics. They utilize the same, like think of like, yeah, like you just said open world RPG burnout. Like that's exactly how I feel. To be honest with you, if Ghost of Tsushima wasn't so cinematic, I don't think I could have gotten into it. Um, well, maybe that's an overstatement. That might be an exaggeration. But but I was definitely like, you got to show me something new here. You have to give me yeah. something fresh because I just got done playing God of War, Elden Ring, Horizon, and you know a whole host of others just within the last year. Like, I need something fresher. Um, and and I think you know it's actually the same reason why I go from I go through massive periods where I don't watch any anime, and then I'll come back to it in droves because I've. I've cured my burnout by getting time away. And to be honest with you, like it may be that I would say I have the opposite problem right now. I'm hyper fixated on like one game at a time. And so it seems to like, you know, it like, you know, it keeps me too, I'm too narrow. You know, I, I'd almost rather have your problem, which is a wide plethora of experiences to pull from, especially for this podcast. But, um, I don't, I, it sounds like to me, it's a little bit of burnout. Um, maybe, maybe you need, well, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I really don't have any advice for you. Would you think, do you think burnout's the right term or am I missing the mark here? You know, that's a good question. Ugh, sorry, Jared. Could you keep rolling for a second? Yeah. <laughs> because like Elden Ring, I'm over 200 hours now. And the the mechanics, the parrying, and all this different stuff. I've parried the last three games. You know, Sekiro, Ghost of Tsushima, and Elden Ring. Um, uh, and even some of the combat is similar in Horizon Zero Dawn. Maybe maybe not quite. That's a little bit of a stretch. But you know, there's it's just a lot of the same. All of this, all the best AAA games feel the same. Fortnite feels the same to all these other. You know, Apex feels the same as Call of Duty. You know. Perhaps just gaming in general has has burned you out. Maybe you need something, I don't know, fresh, like, you know, audiobook. Um, instead of spending your evenings gaming, listen to an audiobook. I would listen to um, 
Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Uh, would highly, totally, totally left out of left field here, but I would highly recommend that audiobook. He reads it himself. So, um, totally. Maybe you just need a break from gaming in general. I don't know, Josh. Maybe. Um, thank you very much. My goodness, Jared. I was dying there for a second. I was taking a <laughs> swig of water when you were answering, and I just started to <laughs> choke, and my mic was muted, and then you <laughs> threw it back at me, and I was oh, like, no. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> so, I'm, <laughs> I'm better now. Thank you. Um, I don't... Burnout, I think... I mean, we talked about this. Yeah, we did. In the last episode, or the, the one before that, but... It does apply, yes, in the situation. I don't know if it's about a particular genre. Mm. It it, it might be gaming in general. It's hard for me to justify feeling burnt out, though, because this last year I was busy doing a lot of other stuff. It wasn't like I was playing games all the time. Right. Um, And in the summer, it's like, oh, this is the time to to play, you know. Um, And that open world fatigue is real. You know, Horizon... Forbidden West is everything you want in a sequel, but because it's more of the same, I just got turned off by it, mm. which is interesting. That's so interesting. That's like yeah. something that's just happening nowadays. And it is, I think, part of like everybody wants to have that bombastic open world experience. And so every game does feel similarly, at least in those AAA categories, right? You can still have a Fall Guys or a Binding of Isaac that is like totally different. Mm. Um, but if you're getting a triple A experience, it is like, oh, this is this is more of the same. Oh, what are you gonna do that's new for me? Oh, you know what? I'm kind of sick and tired of of grinding, of trying to find gear, of upgrading my skill points. Like every single game does that. And I think Horizon Forbidden West is a great example of like people and I and I, and I can't speak for everybody. But I just got this sense from the whole industry and, and enthusiasts at large that like when Forbidden West came out, people looked at that and shrugged their shoulders and said, what is this doing that is unique? And the, the reality of it was not much. Like right. it was more of what people loved from the first game. Mm-hmm. But we're at this point now where people are like, it's not just we don't just want more of the same. We want something different, like and it's it's hard to quantify that. It's hard to justify that. You know, it's that, and that definitely plays a part in all of this for me. But I mean, I'll I'll try to play other genres and stuff, and something's just not sticking with it. And I wonder if it is just me getting a little bit older, me understanding that you know, time is of the essence. You can't ever do anything with time but spend it. So you're going to be spending it on something. And I always have this gnawing feeling at the back of my mind that like, oh, maybe I should be playing this instead. Or, you know, I really heard about, I had a lot of good things about this particular title and I never got to play it. Maybe I should be playing this. And then I go and jump into that and I'm like, well, maybe instead I should, you know. And so I just like, I'm jumping back and forth in my own mind and it's tough. Um, I yearn for the days. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. Finish your thought, and then I'll then I'll finish mine. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I yearn for the days of being a kid and not having mm. choices. <laughs> yes, yeah, for real. It's just like so weird, but yeah, like all I had was Lego Star Wars. Yep. Or, you know, um, what was the game um, Medal of Honor. It was like Lego Star Wars or Medal of Honor. Dude, me and, too. <laughs> that's so funny. And it's like that's just gone now. And the the plethora of options, which is what I always wanted, is now like getting to the point of drowning. Like, mm. I feel like I'm drowning in it. Mm. So, what was your thought? 
No, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the same mental loop that you you go through when you refresh Twitter three times after opening the app. Mm. You might be, and I might be too, for that for that matter. You might be have overdosed on dopamine, and so I now that, nothing yeah. holds your interest because it doesn't excite you enough. Maybe you need to bore your life a little bit so that each video game <laughs> is more exciting. You know? Yeah. Interesting. I think we, you know we talked about it over text, and I, I don't I won't spoil it. But the next game that you chose, you just asked me if I had made any progress in it, and I said I hadn't picked it up. I think we should definitely do that one next, and then you know at, give ourselves maybe just some time to like detach so that games become exciting again. You know what I mean? Because I could do that podcast tomorrow, um, just because I'm sure. so familiar with that game. But um, but but yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're both dopamine addicted. I think that's like just a reality of life now. Yeah, it's been tough yeah. to navigate. I would agree. Like I know I'm starting a little small family now and I've been thinking through like different habits and things that I want to teach my daughter and my other kids and um, things that I want to do for myself. You know, I was, I was just thinking earlier today actually that it might be a good idea to like after dinner just everybody put their phones on the charging bank at the front of the house and just leave them there, mm. you know, the rest of the evening. And yeah. yeah. And, and just like, and it's, it's just so hard to do. Everybody has their phones on you. You you're constantly searching for or wanting it. It's like this instinctual thing for everyone now. Um, and I know it's not healthy and you're right. Like I'm opening up Twitter for no reason, no reason at all. Um, I'm, I'm checking my phone for no reason. And I feel like I need to, because I do communicate with it. Right. I'm, I'm still texting my wife and I'm still checking and seeing, um, where I'm going on maps and stuff. So like it has that utility to it, but all these other things that it's, it's drawing back on that it's, that's pulling, uh, holding me back on. Maybe I should consider a little bit more. And that can be applied to a lot of parts of life that just in the past we never had to worry about. And now that's everything. And it's just, it's, it's, it's tough because you get so disconnected from reality yeah. dealing with your phone. Um, and, and like you look at people differently. I've noticed that. And I've been really working on that this last year, actually. Like I think after 2020 and everybody think like kind of got locked down and got agitated, I started to view people kind of as a nuisance. Mm. Um, kind of like they're in my way in traffic or the person behind the, the counter is kind of rude to me. So I'm going to be rude back. And I've been thinking a lot this last year, like when did I start to think that way? Cause before it used to be like, Oh, um, I want to be friends with people. I want to like make a good impression on people. And I don't know when that shifted. And I don't think it's entirely just modern times to blame. I think I'm definitely a part of it, but man, is it easy to get into that mindset of like, people are not people. They are annoyances that you have to deal with to get your money at the end of the day or whatever it may be. Mm. And that applies in a lot of other situations. How does that apply to gaming? Um, I think it is just like, yeah, I think dopamine overload is adding to it. I think uh, the rewards of digging into games is tough to justify sometimes when there yeah. are so many of them and there are so many other things that you feel like you ought to be doing with your time. And maybe that's just a real reality of adulthood, you know? Yeah. Um, the, 
there's a reason why our parents and our grandparents kind of scoffed at like, oh, you still play Nintendo? Right. Or right. like, when are you going to stop playing that and focus on other things? Uh, but now that's just everybody. Like, we're getting to that point now where millennials are becoming, you know, the people in charge of stuff. They're getting into their late 30s and, and near their 40s. And um, they're going to start to run things more. And it's the millennials that played games growing up. It's the millennials that... Uh, really got into Instagram and social media, and um, we're the ones that are grappling with that. And and I'd like to think that as we get older, I don't know if you consider yourself millennial or not. I'd say we're kind of like right on the cusp. We of, are right of on both the cusp. A lot of people think it's 1995, so like, yeah, 1995, 96. At least that's what Jonathan right. Haidt says. So, but I think like. Hopefully, and my hope is that I can instill into my Gen Air, um, my daughter's going to be Gen Alpha, um, that, like, look, technology is with us. This is something that permeates everything now, but we can handle it in a healthy way. Mm. And we've been through it, and we're still grappling with this stuff. Like, obviously, in our conversation now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking through it. But I'd like to think that we get to a point as a, as a culture as a generation that like we're able to recognize where it is healthy, where it is unhealthy and find those limitations and work those into our lives as opposed to just allowing it to consume us. Um, it was very interesting earlier today, my mom was making fun of my dad and she sent a video to our family chat because they sat down to just hang out and have a cup of coffee. And my dad was on his phone and he like sat down and they were just going to talk. They hadn't really hung out that day and he pulled out his phone and I think he was just like shooting off an email or something, but it's, it's like this, this instinct. It's a sad instinct that everybody has built into them. Maybe not sad. Maybe sad's the wrong word, but one that is, uh, it's a dangerous game that you got to be careful about. And I think people just indulge it a little bit too quickly and uh, a little bit too much and i don't know if i have the answer for how to fix that um but i i do wonder if there is a way to do it um but nonetheless uh with my gaming i do think uh, at the end of the day i do think it's a little bit unhealthy to <laughs> i do you know to to not commit I th- it does seem very non-committal i see what you're and saying. i'm not getting anything out of out of the shallow just touching on each different thing um, whereas I do think I could get a lot out of a particular thing if I really did just focus on it. And I've had that this last year. I mean, Elden Ring. I mean, what can I say? You yeah. know, um, like that's still there. And, and even outside of that, like earlier this year, immediately what comes to mind is Dishonored. Uh, I played through the Dishonored game, loved it. It was great. Now I didn't finish it. Um, but I felt like I got fairly into it. And so it, that's still there, but it's it's harder and harder for me to to find that um and to settle on it yeah i don't know what can you say there's a bunch of games out there a lot of them are crap just like there's a bunch of anime (laughs) out there and a lot of it's crap you know a bunch of tv a bunch of movies most of it's crap you know just about finding uh it could just be that you haven't found the next thing that's going to grab you real good and coming off of the big mountaintop experience that is elden ring i'm not surprised partially so yeah i do like things that grab me real good that's right do you think that (laughs) We live in a time where just consumer media is at a lower quality than it used to be. Maybe not a lower quality. Maybe it's just a higher quantity than it needs to be. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, scarcity creates value. 
For sure. I don't know. I think that, yeah, no, for, you're right. You're right. Like, how many, like, major movies were released in the 1980s? Like, mm-hmm. maybe two a month. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like there's 10 movies dropped on subscription services every week, yep. you know? Yep. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that definitely plays into it. I just, I'm always curious, like, in 20 years, 30 years, what are we going to look back and be like, oh, that was the iconic stuff from that time, sure. you know? Because it just seems like there's so much of everything. So, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We're getting to that point now where the 2000s are becoming like, oh, man, like, remember that? Or like, oh, look at that. That's crazy. It looks yeah. so old now. Um, so, that's cool. Historians um, have their work cut out for them, that's for sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, let's do our pick of the week, though, Jared. And, of course, this week we're talking about uh, the Sucker Punch title, Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima is a medieval Japanese video game, or at least that's the setting of it. It is a RPG open world, like we said before, uh, made from the creators of Sly Cooper and the Infamous series. And I got to tell you, Jared, when I heard that this game was coming out, coming from this particular set of developers who I've known, I've played all their games except their very first one, I was surprised. I was tentative, you know, very uh, on guard about the whole thing because they just they have a particular way of making games that I did not think would fit with this. But as far as I'm concerned, they knocked it out of the park, and Ghost of Tsushima is a great game. But let's talk about it, Jared. I know that I had introduced the game to you briefly in Colorado, but when you got to sit in front of it here with your PS5 and play through it for yourself, what was your impression of the game at the start? And how do you feel about it as you've wrapped it up? Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima is a um, is a masterpiece of cinematic gaming, and it it it's also a, a beautiful demonstration of what it means to take a simple concept and explore it to you know its maximum capacity. I think of when I sat down and played it for the first time um, at your place and you're like, no, 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 you got to use the R2 button to switch stances so you can deal with different types of enemies. I was like, what? And, you know, obviously, <laughs> whatever difficulty you were playing it on was just too much for me at the time. And I was like, this is stupidly hard. And that was way before I had played any FromSoft games either, too. So I had a very low resilience to games that were too difficult. And um, having played through it myself, I remember a scene in which I was riding on my horse in I don't remember where I was when when you showed me the game uh, in your map there, but I just remember you know riding on the horse up to this village and then getting my teeth knocked in, and I probably found that same you know that same village when I went and 
played my own game and I was like, so this is what I was messing up, right? But, but because I had played through the start of the game, it had been explained so easily to me that it was now, you know, just second nature to be mastering these controls. So uh, it, it definitely, in my first impressions of the game were certainly that it's cinematic. Uh, I, I've taken more screenshots of this game than any other game that I've played on my PlayStation 5. And mm. um, I've also really enjoyed how they have slowly put you into the water. They don't just throw you into the deep end, you know. Um, there's a difference in, I'm going to make this comparison a lot um, between these two games, but there's a difference between like, here are your fundamentals, that's all you need, and here are your fundamentals, we're going to show you more. Um, and the Ghost of Tsushima is the latter, Sekiro being the former. And, um, you know, it. It certainly, it, it very um, reminds me of, like a bunch of games, but this is something I was thinking of when I said a lot of AAA games feel the same, is get, it takes all the best ideas and incorporates them into their own story and, and everything like that. So it, you know, an excellent, excellent game. Um, and I don't know, first impressions, I was just most impressed with the, the cinema for sure, but I'm really yeah. glad we, we chose this one to uh, think of, you know, nominate for the Hall of Games. Yeah, and I think, you know, you talk about open world games all feeling the same. I think Ghost of Tsushima is one of those rare open world games nowadays that does break new ground. Um, in its combat, I think that that particular um, system of combat does feel very, very distinct from any of its peers, which is great. That's what you need. Um a lot of people compare this to Assassin's Creed, and it's like Assassin's Creed in its open world, and in the fact that it's a historical setting. I think that's what most people think of when they're thinking of its relation to Assassin's Creed. It's just the fact that it's it's a period piece. Um, but this combat's distinct. Like, it, I have a hard time thinking of other games that have similar combat. Now, it's still straightforward. It's got a lot of complexity, but it's not ever to the point of being overwhelming i think it's at a point where i think you you put it well where uh here's kind of the tools that you're given and then here's what we can add to it is is where they take this game and by the end of it you feel like a god yeah <laughs> like you've got so many different opportunities and and tools at your disposal and it's like the people cannot compete with it which is awesome um but i do think it does forge its own identity within that um, and a lot of that comes down to Sucker Punch's just focus and dedication on creating medieval Japan and and doing it in a way that obviously is a vision of that. These characters are fictional. Um, they don't come from... Obviously, there was an actual Mongol invasion of Japan, but mm-hmm. uh, Jin Sakai and, and uh, Kutan uh, Khan... I, I might be saying his name wrong, but... Um, the Khan is a, they're original characters, right? They're not you can't find them in history books, uh, but they're taking that spirit of what that era was like, and they are fully realizing that in an open world in a way that even Assassin's Creed games don't. Mm. Um, it's it's amazing. Like this game makes me feel like every game should be in medieval Japan. Like just. I love it. I love it so much. I think the Mongol invasion is a brilliant idea. Yes. Now, I will say, and I wanted to ask your question here, uh, what did you think of the opening? I remember distinctly when I first played this game, the opening fell a little bit flat. And I I think it was because I was just getting introduced to a lot of this stuff. Playing through it again, I appreciate it a little bit more. 
but it seemed like they were going for a spectacle and excitement, and it didn't catch me. It felt smaller than even how the characters talk about it later in the game. Um, they make it sound like it was this huge last stand, and when I first played through the beginning of the game, it didn't feel like that. Um, now, of course, they do set the mood. They set the mood of like, and they do it brilliantly of having the like the honor code of the samurai versus uh, the Mongols and justify the means and um, their willingness to fight dirty. I mean, the guy literally throws alcohol on the samurai and then burns him alive at the very start of the game. So it's obvious that they are not playing by the samurai's rules. Um, but I don't know. Even now, like some of the things that happen at the beginning of the game, something about it never clicked for me. As you get further into it, I think that the story does get very interesting, very uh, dedicated to that particular original theme of honor and what that means for this particular culture. Um, but like even like Jin getting saved by Yuna just kind of felt like, oh, convenient. Um, it didn't seem like there were very many people charging on the beach. It did feel like it fell flat. Do you agree with that? I would, if you, yeah. I mean, the, the number of, yeah, I, that's a, how do I want to phrase this? Um, that's a really good point actually. And it's a great segue into, um, what I would consider is, you know, my first noticeable complaint to the game. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second that I would agree with you. And, and I would say that a general complaint, although low on my complaint list, is that the game does feel combat empty sometimes. Um, and it's largely in these the, the storyline battles. Because when you go into a, um, you know, the game has many different events on the map. It's open world. So you can travel to these different areas um, and liberate the area by fighting off Mongol camps and then you burn them to the ground and then people move back in and create a little village or something like that, depending on, you know, how big the camp was. Um, and the camps feel very appropriate. Uh, they feel like there's a good amount of enemies. There's a good size. Um, and you know, you'll have like, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 enemies per the size of the camp. And that feels like a good number, but you're totally right. When it comes to the, the, the first opening battle, as well as the battle for the forts, you know, the, the big main battles, right? The battle at Port um, Izumi, at the, la the last battle, they feel like mm. smaller scale. And, and the DLC too, I've been playing the DLC a little bit, trying to, I, I didn't get the chance to finish the DLC before I um, hopped on this podcast, but I was, I just played the, uh, the massacre at Kaduri and it were, I think I said that right. Um, and again, it's like you're battling six or eight enemies and it's the big battle. And it's like, uh, it you know, I, so I, I do agree mm -hmm. that there's this general sense of, um, combat emptiness, I'll call it because I want to be, I'll say storyline emptiness. Like the big moments don't feel that big as they're making them yeah. out to be. Yeah. I'm so I'm totally with you. Um, the At least when it comes to yeah. like those those epic moments, yes. I would say the the more personal moments work up perfectly. Yes, for me at least, totally agree. Now, Yuna saving him doesn't bother me. Yuna um, is one of the characters that I liked. One of the side characters. I did all of the side quests for the the main characters, uh, and Jin Sakai's uh, you know little posse there. And Yuna's actually wraps up nicely, um, nicer than most of the others. And sure. um, so the intimate moments, especially there's a scene just before the end of the game where Jin and, and Yuna are about to head to the last battle, right? Act three of the game. And, um, and Jin's like, no, 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 
let's just talk for a little bit. And there's that great moment, you know, it, it just like wartime, you know, tragedy has struck us all. And um, I, I, I would say that from a narrative standpoint, this game is fantastic. Just absolutely painting a countryside war torn by these relentless enemies who will, um, it's implied rape. Um, I, you never have to deal with that in, in real time, but implied rape, uh, murder, kidnapping, forcing men to choose which son they want to kill, um, things like that. The Mongol hordes just brutalizing this this island and painting tragedy at every single turn. A lot of these tiny little side quests that you do as Jin end in tragedy. Um, like for the the one with the father I just mentioned, that some of the Mongols come to this father and force him to pick which son he wants to survive, and then they kill that one he picks anyway. And then... You know, the father feels so much guilt because his other son survived, knew that he wasn't the one chosen, that the father kills himself. And it's just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And the painting this countryside, and even when you traverse the land, you find bodies just randomly, um, mm-hmm. randomly in the woods and lying here and there, hung up in trees. Um, from a narrative perspective, it's absolutely, absolutely flawless. Uh, the intimate moments, of course, yeah. But yeah, I I think that's a good the good point. Those big moments kind of kind of fall flat just a little bit. Yeah, um, but I agree. I think I do think Yuna and a lot of those other characters do. Uh, I love that they keep the side quests going throughout the game. That's one thing that um, Sucker Punch has done in all their games, and I was really excited to see that here. Um, and the tragedy is there. This does feel like an invasion and they stick with that. And you see some of the politics of the Island to play out, like, especially mm-hmm. with lady Masako mm-hmm. and, um, her obviously tragic storyline, literally from the start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you do see the, the horrors, like you see what an invasion at this time in history would be like. And for them to actually show you that and to communicate that, and you see the emotion on these people's faces, um, you see how hurt they are just seeing their home torn apart by these ruthless people who, um, and in the cons case, like he does try to work with the samurais, um, in order to gain, you know, um, power. Um, and he gives them a choice, you know, he says, join me or, you know, suffer the consequences. And he shows them what those consequences are as they do burn the countryside. Um, so they capture all that fantastically. Um, but it does fall flat in those, those big story moments. Now there was one, and I just thought of this off the top of my head. Um, when you're with your uncle and you go take down those ships and you go up on a hill and you're firing down on those ships as they're trying to make it to shore to invade, uh, to get a larger army onto the, um, mm-hmm. onto the, um, Island. I thought that particular mission worked really well. Um, and there are other missions like that. So I don't want to make it sound like each of them falls flat, yes. but, the first and the last mm-hmm. really do. Um, yeah. When you beat the con at the end, it's a joke. Like it's a total joke. And a part of that is because you are, like I said, kind of like a God by the end. Um, like there's a reason why, and this is something that all games do, but <laughs> there's a reason why like you lose to him in cutscenes typically, other than at the very start of the game um, when you can face him on the bridge and, you know, you'll survive as long as you can. Um, I think there might be like an inevitable where he will hit you and take you out no matter what. I haven't actually been able to see if that's the case because I've never survived long enough. Um, but that's all in there. Um, and that is something that the the narrative had just has to deal with. Um, but to pull off like 
the setting in the way that they do, but then also the the personal character um, interplay and uh, the tragedy of what this particular situation would have been like, this war-torn countryside would have been like, is impressive, yeah. especially coming from this team. Yeah. Um, have you played any other Sucker Punch games, Jared? No, and I texted you this before the, the podcast. I was like, I'm going to need your experience in past games to frame a lot of the things that i say as you as you do most of our podcast uh i haven't tell me about like why is this so this was obviously a departure from what they normally have done oh yeah um have you ever heard of the sly cooper games no okay so that's a playstation 2 franchise uh that was back when they had a lot of cartoon mascots uh i think jack and daxter i think ratchet and clank and then you had sly cooper and sucker punch really hit it big working for sony on their sly cooper series but it's like a cartoon raccoon uh he's he's trying to in the first game he's trying to find the thievious raccoonist which is like this uh book of like all the like thievery <laughs> secrets that had been passed so it's like it's like a goofy thing you know it's like obviously not taking itself seriously at all um, but they followed that series up with Infamous, which is great. I love the Infamous series. Uh, really well done stories. I think that they really started to show Sucker Punch did that they can they can weave a narrative um, and they can make it feel impactful and significant. Um, I've been playing as we played started playing Ghost. I started to play a little bit of Infamous because you can play the first title on PlayStation Plus. Just going back to it and seeing like their roots and and where some of these ideas that have come to fruition and ghost came from but infamous is it's a superhero game you play as a guy who gets electricity powers because of an explosion and you're you're jumping around you're zapping baddies and it's a comic book like you're it's a very straightforward comic book story and then for them to put aside the cartooniness put aside the goofy fiction and jump into still fiction but a historical setting and and realize this world in such a way that that resonates on the level that it does really i say hats off to them for that because i did not think that they could i did not expect that they would and as i played this game more and more the more i fell in love with that particular aspect of it and i think that they do it better than assassin's creed did i think you know, a lot of people say assassin's creed should have done a medieval japan game um they, everybody's been clamoring for it. They primarily stick with European-focused stuff, and I think that might be because they're a European team, but Sucker Punch is an American team. Um, and you can see that they absolutely love Japan. You know, they brought in people who uh, were going to give them advice on how yes. to actually... Um, uh, formulate the the scripts. Like, they had... Yep. Um, specific ancient japanese language and and connotations and words and uh emphases and stuff built into this game because they really wanted to be authentic Mm -hmm. and it it just it, it astounds me um that they were able to do it and to do it in such a fine fine way and that's just the setting um the story itself i love i love the through line of jinn Mm-hmm. Of, of this man who has to put aside uh, the traditions of his of his family, of his culture, of his country, in order to save said culture, said family, said country. And he has to become something that, in the eyes of his father figure, his uncle, is despicable, is heinous, in order to defeat a ruthless enemy that seems to not be able to be defeated in any other way. I mean, the man tried, Jin tried at the very beginning of the game to do it the samurai way and he got his butt kicked. 
And I love the start. And as he, you know, and Yuna's a part of that. She's a thief. And she tells him, like, hey, um, we have to be quiet as we go and approach this encampment. Like, if we get caught, we will die. We are outnumbered. And he is forced to sneak around um, like a, uh, what do they call it? Um, Shinobi. Shinobi, yes. Uh, I was going to say Shogun. I was like, that's not right. Um, Shinobi, and which is dishonorable to the samurai. And you know, the first time that he goes up and stabs a man in the back, it goes into a cutscene. You can just see yep. the grief on his yep. face, the conflict of, of what he's doing. Yep. He knows what he's doing. It's a great and, moment. Um, exactly. And that, that carries throughout the whole game. Like when he finally releases his uncle, his uncle kind of mentions like, hey, I've heard about what you're doing. Like the con told me a little bit about it and you know that's not what we do like and i hope that now we can put that in the past now that we're working together again and we can move on and he kind of ignores like for that middle section of the game he just ignores what jen's doing yeah because he doesn't want to face it and then eventually by the end he does have to um and all of that throughout the whole game is impactful it's nuanced it's emotional and you don't get that from games no, at least don't. not very often um, so for them to do that on top of delivering on the setting and then of course on the the beauty oh my gosh how beautiful this game is and then the combat as well uh fine game fantastic game does it have its flaws absolutely um but this is an experience like i can't think of a better like if you wanted to see and feel how how it would have been like to be in medieval japan i can't think of a better oh yeah thing piece of content yeah to experience than ghost of tsushima and they, I remember when this game was being released, reading articles and seeing, you know, ads on YouTube or whatever else, at how they brought in experts from every little detail, um, uh, experts in haikus, in combat. They wanted to get the samurai technique correct. Um, they wanted to get what Ronin looked like correct. The difference between the two factions, um, you know, archers and all this different stuff, even down to the way the Mongols uh, call out in uh mongolian they're yeah. they're shot before they fire it so that you get attuned to that stuff like they made it as absolutely accurate as possible within their gameplay constraints and it shows through it feels authentic um and it's super satisfying to play through the stories in in every every sense did you like Jin as a character oh yeah and and lord uh his uncle lord shimura Jin, the khan um yuna uh lady masako uh or masako whatever um uh sensei ishikawa norio dude top of the line voice acting in in so many different ways absolutely fantastic um did you play through this in japanese i'm assuming yes i did yeah you know me i'm a sub guy i don't i don't do dubbed anime (laughs) i don't do dub games either so screw that but um yeah subbed all the way and jin's japanese voice actor is is fantastic man yeah I think I wish because when this game first got released, um, I'm assuming you're playing the definitive edition because you had access to the DLC. Yeah. Um, which is leaps and like this is the way to play this game. I don't think uh, leaps and bounds maybe is, is a little bit too much of an extreme. But in the original release, they didn't have Japanese lip sync. So I started the game. It was synced to English. And I don't know why they made that decision, like especially because they go so hard with like the authenticity of it. Um but I was playing through it and I just, I was like, oh, I can't do it. Like the lips are just off. Yeah. So I switched it to English and I played through the whole game the first time in that way. Um, playing through it again, though, in Japanese just feels much more authentic. Yeah. Now I do think, I do like some characters better 
in the English. I think specifically Ishikawa. I loved Ishikawa's voice actor in English. And Jin, too. His, act, his voice actor was pretty good. Um, but his Japanese voice actor is just as good. Uh, Ishikawa's Japanese voice actor, it just doesn't resonate as much with me. But... Um, Others are better. I think Kenji's a lot funnier in Japanese. Um, He's hilarious. He's such a goofy, obviously, scumbag, is lying to you every time that he's talking to you um, character. And in English, he was kind of annoying. Um, But in Japanese, he kind of has like a, um, I don't know, a One Punch Man vibe of like... It's just kind of that that funny... Like, it's so weird because I don't speak the language. So, like, I, I don't actually understand what they're saying but even just in their connotation like yeah. the, their their tonation um yeah. it, it just makes me laugh sometimes and i think that he is a lot better in japanese um but yeah uh i think that they're the delivery of each of the different actors and um their dedication to the roles does of course aid in completing the whole package uh i do wish that they had had Japanese lip sync. I'm glad that they added it now and it did really help me to play through it the second time. And of course it does feel a lot more authentic that way. And authenticity is the name of the game here. I mean, dude, they even gave us a Kurosawa mode. Like you can play this game in classic black and white Japanese movie style. Yeah. Which like they didn't have to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you can just see they love, they love this culture. They love this so much and they, they, they wanted to do it justice, and they did. I think they did. Yeah, an an epic, an epic artistic touch to honor what they're really trying to do, and they follow through. I, I mean, the landscape is is so it, it just feels like you're there. It's it's one of the most immersive landscapes, one of the most immersive games I've ever played. Um, and to be honest, like if anything needs to be, you know, translate, you know, we. If there's any game out there that I'd want to go into the Matrix and play, it would be this game for one of them. Um, yeah. And, and it's just because it would feel so authentic to be there. Um, it's yeah. one of those games you don't want to fast travel through. Yeah, that's like, absolutely right. You just, you just want to be in it. Yeah. And I think that it's also built with that in mind. I mean, you have the wind. That's kind of your marker. You don't have a compass at the top of your screen, which some people like, some people don't. Um they want you to kind of happen upon things. Obviously the map itself is covered in fog. So you have to actually go into it to discover stuff, which other games do, but they have that here with the idea of, um, we don't really want you consulting your map unless you're picking an objective to go towards. Um, we want you to kind of just to be in the game. Um, and it's, it's built around that idea. Now I do think that the game has a couple of like really standout moments in the story. And we can talk about these couple of things and we can reference the story as well as we go on. But was there a particular point in the story that was your favorite or one that like really just put the, the capstone on like, okay, this is a great, awesome setting and experience and story. Yeah. For, if, you. for anyone listening, major spoilers ahead. Please do not like pause this now, go play the entire game and then come back and listen to the podcast. Major spoilers. I mean, I almost cried at the end. I, I did. I, uh, my eyes were, were teary eyed. That was a beautiful final duel slash moment. You know, I played through the whole storyline before I went to Icky's Island. Um, uh, you know, the DLC yeah. stuff. That his duel with his uncle made me nearly cry. 
it was it was um, a tremendous way to what'd cap you, off the what'd series. What did you choose at the end? I chose to spare him. I felt like narratively it made the most sense. Um, now his, yeah, his uncle yeah. pleads with him, you know, if you haven't listened to me this entire time, please give me an honorable death. I've already lost you to the ghost, and now I don't want you know, if you were to kill your uncle, it would give you both closure, but now there's some awkward tension knowing that your uncle's on the other side of the island, but you can't see him because he's got to chase you down, you know, uh, kind of like the, the hero that we we don't deserve but we need right now the whole batman idea um i chose to spare him because i felt like that was what he had turned his back on everything it makes sense for him to forge his own path and decide his own values at this point um sure and additionally i don't know i that's that's what i ended up choosing how about you i chose the opposite hey. and i'll tell you why go ahead tell and me about I get- it I get why you chose that because it makes perfect logical sense, but I think the other way does in its own way because you're you're honoring your uncle yes. in what his set of values are, you know. Yes. Um yes. even though Jin has obviously broken off from that, he sees things differently. Um he's proven that his methods actually are even more effective um and that becoming the ghost has been vital to them defeating the Khan um and driving out the Mongols. But at the end of the day, like to show that respect to his uncle and to what his uncle truly believes is right, I thought that that was a, a fitting way to end it. Yeah, and, um, and but either way is heart wrenching. And lar- logically too, his uncle probably would commit seppuku anyway, uh, and sure. take, take his own life for the shame of of having lost to his nephew, um, sure. or in front of the shogun, you know, ceremoniously, you know, taking his own life to, you know you know, demonstrate his failure. He's already lost Jin either way. Jin by killing his uncle is sparing him any more heartbreak and giving them both, like I said, closure. I was a little torn when I thought about it. I I made a decision pretty quickly because it just made, that was my first gut reaction. But after thinking about it, they both, is a beautiful way to split the story down the middle. It's like, how did you perceive Jin this entire time? And I, I think it was a brilliant move by Sucker Punch to make you choose between the two. What I don't like is the fact that you cannot get, you know, this is, and this is a gameplay thing, we'll get to it eventually. What I don't like is the fact that you can't get both sets of armor. It's one for one ending and one for the other, and I, I'm not going to huh. do a game plus yeah. this game. So it is what it is. <laughs> so you just feel like you, you wish you had the option to maybe go somewhere and purchase the other armor or something? Well, it's just that the armor choice that you get is white. Uh, if you do it your way, it's white. If you did it my way, you get a red one. Um, but yeah. the problem that doesn't make any sense because the the crimson there's a crimson dye merchant on Icky's Island in the DLC, so you could have gotten a red there. And there's also a white dye merchant in the first yeah. area of the map, you know, on Tsushima Island. So it's it's kind of to me it was redundant. Why didn't you do something more? beautiful like beautifully mixed you know it doesn't have to be a just a red wash or a white wash you could have done some kind of artistic mix and it it felt kind of like if you're going to exclude me from something this shouldn't be it (laughs) really to be honest sure but that's just a little pet peeve of mine you know i i didn't i would have done that quest line whether i had gotten a reward or not um it but i was a little disappointed because i thought i was getting both because there was no because at the end of you know you can see the rewards for each quest it's like two gold or two silk or something like that and I thought I was getting white and red ghost armor so I was like oh sick but I didn't know you had to choose until later so I was like oh that's lame but um, mm. but no that was my favorite moment Josh is that moment with the uncle and 
I will say we're gonna. I want to ask you about difficulty later. We'll have that conversation. So remind me to come back to this when it comes to difficulty. Okay. Um, but I want to know what because there are so many good moments to choose from. Coats and Khan as an enemy was absolutely compelling. What a fantastic villain! Um, now, interesting. I think I don't know if I'd agree with that. That's fair. I want to hear your thoughts. Um, now, I think that they got the final battle backwards. It should have been a gank fight while you chase him down and then a final duel when he's cornered instead of a final duel and then a gank fight afterwards. Um, sure. Because that final fight, and we can get to this when I have, when we talk about combat more specifically. I'm getting off track. Tell me two things. Tell me why you didn't think he was a compelling villain and then tell me also what your favorite moment is. I don't think I found him uncompelling, especially at the start. I think at the start of the game, sure. he was... Um, the the terrifying um doesn't play by your rules but has studied you knows everything about you speaks your language yeah, and yeah. it's like uh so dedicated to his craft of conquering and conquest uh that it it did pose a very real threat and you felt that um i don't think that continues on throughout the game like i think he had a fantastic start great start but by the end he kind of fell flat um at least for me i I think he's a little bit too talky throughout the game. Um, he goes and he talks to his uncle throughout the first part of the game. And he's like taunting him, you know, and uh, at at first I was like, okay. But like after the third or fourth time, I was like, all right, like, I don't know. The man seems like he has other things to be doing here than going and talking to his uncle about what's going on. Um, and I get that he was trying to like persuade him and get him to see like, oh, this is futile and I'm going to win. Um and there, I don't know. There was a lot like with him that I just felt very telegraphed um, when he kills uh, Yuna's brother um, in that like surprise or like so it was supposed to be like a big surprise moment that didn't really catch me off guard. And I was kind of like, eh, all right, I was expecting something to happen. Um, and at the end, because of that final battle, I think he falls very much flat. And I agree. I think having uh, the duel at the end probably would have been a stronger way to sum up his character. Um, I like that he's ambitious and that he's kind of, kind of wanting to break off and, uh, you know, be his own ruler, but something about it all just felt a little half-baked to me. Um, it sounded like they had a premise of a character, but no real way to grow and develop him. Um, and I think that it definitely feels that way when you compare it to other characters in the game. Uh, Jin grows as a character, uh, obviously becoming more and more of the ghost, um, Yuna grows as a character. His uncle kind of grapples in his own way with what Jin is becoming and has to make his own decision at the very end. Um, I would say one of the moments that really was like a gut punch to me at the start of the game and told me that like, oh, these are these are well fleshed out characters with with ideas of their own behind them was at the first part of the game, when you get to Castle Canada, um, and you're wondering like, Oh, where's my good friend Ryuzo? And then he shows up and he's betrayed you. Um, and he sold, you know, he sold you over to the con and he's going to face off and get the reward, the bounty on your head for, um, what the con is offering. And that was like, Oh, like, cause you had worked with him. He was someone from your childhood. And obviously he has this jealousy aspect to him, but then like seeing him as a character, now he's betrayed his country. Um, very much the Benedict Arnold. Yeah. yeah. And he's kind of forced by the con to do these awful things and he doesn't want to do it. Um, and a very tragic figure in his own right. I just felt like with that, the other side characters, uh, Masako, 
uh, Ishikawa's kind of his own thing. I think just the story of um, Tomoe in and of itself is is fun. I don't think that ended super well, or at least not impactfully. Um, all of those, to me, show the con for a very straightforward, one-sided figure. And because of that, the um, the threat that I felt at the beginning of the game doesn't last toward the end. And maybe that's just a video game thing, too. <laughs> that's just a part of it. I don't know. I, I would agree with some of the things you said. I actually felt that um, when it comes to Ryuzu, and this is a preference thing for sure, that Tomoe's betrayal of Sensei Ishikawa, Tomoe's betrayal was more painful than Ryuzu's. Um, it, just because Sensei taking in one student at a time you know, Tomoe had um, um, followed someone he had also failed with. And then, you know, he's known as this archer. And later in the game, he claims he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not even that good. I just kind of, you know, made a name for myself, but I'm not even the best on the island. It's kind of this 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 man who's battled with fierce, and he has a big ego. You hear that when you talk to him throughout yeah. his storyline. And he's he's overcoming that, and he's learning to just accept his failures. And that, that's a great final lesson. He said, Jin... I only have one thing to teach you. Don't make my mistakes. And that's a beautiful, humble, like just like ending to his little quest line. And I love that part. But I felt like Tomea's, uh, excuse me, Tomoe's betrayal of Sensei and trying to survive and like her her uh, moral ambiguity was more compelling than Ryuzu's who just seemed like a man who chose the wrong path because he was insecure because he didn't get the samurai yeah. victory over Jin that he needed when he was younger. Which, if nothing else, serves as a great um, element to the inflexibility of the samurai and Lord Shimura's way of doing things. Because if the culture were more flexible, perhaps, you know, Jin's father could have taken on both Jin and Ryuzu. You know what I'm saying? But Ryuzu was left out in the cold. So now you have these, like, neighboring factions of Ronin, which are outcast samurai. And, you know... Um, that's a very compelling story about the culture. So it's, it should be in there, but I just yeah. felt like his betrayal was a little weak because he seemed like he was after money and, you know, these different things. And, and it, it served to additionally help your portrayal of the con. The one thing, so I totally agree with you about the con falling flat towards the end, and here's why. The con about halfway through, no, it's actually towards the beginning, the con has these inklings, especially if you read the records of conversations with the Khan, where he wants to overthrow Genghis Khan. But Genghis is never mentioned. It's actually like beneath him. So he's the great-grandson of Genghis Khan or something like that. So it's like he's probably dead. But it's like the leader of the Mongolian Empire, you know, Khotun actually dreams of challenging him one day for the right to the throne. And that is a beautiful, like, undertone that Tsushima is just another ant to be crushed underfoot. And he, he walks around swaggering with like his drink in hand and he's he throws it on people and sets them on fire because he just doesn't care. He's like this mafia boss almost, but he's also a fierce warrior. So there's a lot going on with him that I really like, but I felt like they didn't stick the landing because Jin's final words to him were not like, his Jin's final words were, no, you'll be forgotten. And it's like, well, it's just not true because in, in, you know, in history's eyes, it'll be, he'll be remembered as the guy who tried to conquer Tsushima. However... However, the more impactful thing would have been like your disgrace on your family and how could you ever dare to think 
that you you know you would be the leader of the Mongolian Empire. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the the bigger sure. impact could have been that. And if they had added a scene in which one of the Mongolian Empire uh, warriors or something like that comes to challenge Khotan Khan in a duel for Sushima because he's struggling so much with the ghost, and Khotan Khan, like I keep saying his name different ways, <laughs> I apologize, and the Khan, you know, annihilates him and says, "I am still in charge of this island." That would have been a great character boost to his storyline because I felt like, like you did, his start was very strong and he had a lot of like compelling elements, but I, yeah, I do agree with you. It fizzled out towards the end. Um, yeah. I, so who, so Ryuzu, obviously who was, um, who, so we have a couple side characters. We got Kenji, Yuna, Lady Masako, Sensei Ishikawa, uh, and Norio of those five, who did you find to be the most compelling side stories? Um, Norio's is is uh, my I think least favorite as far as how the story plays out. Okay, yeah, rank them for me. Um, Tell me about your thoughts. I don't know if they really had a plan for how they wanted yeah. to handle him. He kind of felt like it was the least thought through. Yeah, uh, Masako's cool. Uh, you face off against her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at one point, like she turns on you, which was awesome and a big surprise. Um, I love. I think all the things you were talking about with Tomoe and Ishikawa are great. I love that interplay of Master and uh, uh, you know his his. Um, not Padawan, but student. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the student that betrayed him. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, took basically took all of his skills and then are using them against him now. Um, so they're great. Kenji's just kind of there for comic relief. Like he, he just breaks up what's going on. I think Yuna is still my favorite. Mm. Now I did mention, I didn't care for the start. I just think it's a little too convenient for some random lady to drag one particular samurai off of a beach. Um, just felt a little too convenient for me, but she was interesting because she was loyal to nobody but Jin. Um, and it was because Jin had over the course of the game proven herself, proven himself to her. And so she, she very much developed a loyalty toward him that you don't see in very many of the other characters. Yeah. And that was great. And she had his back and she, and he had her back. Like he uh, he fought for her in the eyes of his uncle several times. Yep. Um, and obviously they went and saved her brother and then he, he dies and they were planning on getting off the Island and that's awful. And then she decides to dedicate her time to, to helping Jen. And so because of that, I think she's a great character. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the beginning is kind of funky, but I think her and, uh, that loyalty there is, is, uh, a a great cornerstone for Jen and, um, if it makes you feel like you're not alone yes. in this yes. in this uh, rough, awful invasion world where you're going against even the samurai, and uh, she still has your back. So yep. that was always awesome. Um, but I'd say she's definitely, I'd say, the one that I would consider my favorite. Yeah. Uh, but they're all pretty good. I do bring up Ryuzu, but his was more just like, I think just showing me like, oh, this game is going to try to pull some yeah, stuff. Yeah, for like sure. Yeah, for sure. They're gonna go for some actual authentic character moments, which I which I like. Yeah, uh, you don't see that in every game. No, I think Yuna and Jin's relationship. You're you're, I think you're right because there's no reason for her to pull him off the beach. It made no sense. Um, if there was a little cutscene where she's pillaging bodies and she comes over to him, you know, you see him from his perspective. She's like pulling things off of bodies and like looting and stuff. And he says, "Help!" And she's like, "Oh, you're alive." You know, and then and then he's like, "Help!" And she's like, "Well, I, now I can't leave you." That would have made sense, but just like 
randomly. I don't even remember what her reasoning was, but I think you're right. Like there, it's a little too it's a little too convenient for narrative sake. Uh, could have been short up just a tiny bit better as far as consistent character motivations. Um, I, I will say that like my favorite. It's hard to pick a favorite. I would say that like. I'm actually in perfect agreement with you. I feel like Lady Masako's ending, the, her sister's reasons for betraying her just weren't good enough to murder an entire family. Like, I just yeah, didn't. Yeah, so awful. Yes. So, like, that, but the duel with her is super intense, and that's fantastic. That was a great, like, and when Jin looks at her, he's like, don't ever try to kill me again. That was a great yeah, line. Yeah. That's a fantastic voice acted line. Um, Tomoe as a character, the tension that you feel when you're in her cabin and you are getting this sense as the player, like something's off about this chick, right? When she's going around to these traps and then it turned, I was like, I bet you this is Tomoe. And sure mm-hmm. enough, it's, it's Tomoe and you're like the tension in that cabin when she's like, well, you could stay the night. And it's like, no, you know, wh- how do you want to deal with this character? And obviously they make that choice for you. But, um, but it's interesting, like, who is the bad guy here? Is it Sensei and his strictness or is it Tomoe for, you know, is she, cause she makes this line in the final, um, the final, you know, part nine of nine where she's like, I was just trying to survive like everyone else. And that really like just reinforces this whole wartime narrative that the game does so well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it ended fine after, after thinking about it, she like goes away and, you know, Sensei comes to grips with his failures. So I'd probably say like Sensei, I don't know. It's it's tough, but that's a good storyline. I, I want to say Kenji's is actually my favorite, and just for okay, a, yeah, a simple reason. There's no character inconsistency. Kenji is always wrestling with his own demons of like he's too weak to back up his big words, and he's always getting into trouble. And the quests are always fun. The voice acting is fantastic in the Japanese. I love that. And um, Jin serves as kind of like a a. a this is one of the areas in which Jin's character redeems itself repeatedly, whereas the entire game kind of throws shade at him as an individual. Um, and so Kenji's would probably be num- my number one. Then probably Yuna, although it almost seems like like a side quest, like you're dealing with her past a little bit, but it's like not that important almost. Um, and because she gets so much like main story time, it's not a huge deal Like if you yeah. do or don't do that one, so that one's fine. So I'd say Kenji first... And uh, then the other three somewhere in there. And then Norio's just fell off a cliff. Dude, like, you're totally right. Th- he was, his story, the way his story ends is like an afterthought. It was so weird. Yeah. He goes in this murderous rage. I would have actually preferred to have fight him and have to have put him down, to be honest with you. Like, his whole, he just goes nuts and starts murdering everybody. Maybe he swings his Nagigata somewhere accidentally takes someone's head off a monk's head off who's like resisting him like norio don't go down the dark path and he just kills him and then jin's got to put him down that would have been much more compelling than it's like oh norio burned cruelly an entire village to the ground i'll just overlook it and he'll conveniently sure. be at the final battle so i'm totally with you norio started off i love the first three acts of norio's story are yes. the best they're so strong i agree and he's a beast with that nagi nagigata he's like this long spear thing and he's like taking out mongols it's awesome and then I don't, yeah, totally falls off a cliff. So I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Um, Taka's death. I actually, I liked how that played out again. The con just drinking casually as he just like holds life in the balance. I really liked that for his character. So yeah, lots of great, great moments from a narrative perspective. Again, cinematically and narratively, this game is a plus a plus in both categories. 
So speaking of moments, um, my no, I don't know if it's my favorite. There's so many good ones. The end of the game is flawless. Mm. Like it wrapped up in a way that I couldn't have seen going as well as it did. Yeah, especially after the con fight. Like I kind of that left like a not not bad taste, but definitely an empty feeling sure, sure. of like uh like that wasn't resonating on the level that I had hoped. Yeah, and to have that um, moment with your uncle at the end was just amazing yes, amazing like no other agree. way to end this um i love i love the moment and it's its own little like just gin moment like there's no other real characters involved when he like becomes the ghost like mm. um it's when you're i don't remember what particular camp it is but you go in you're liberating it and the terrify mechanic where it like it goes into well, do they just call it ghost mode i can't remember what it's called um, yeah. where it's like all of a sudden you're just like every kill is an instant kill yep. and they're all running away from you or like falling on the ground trying to get away from you and he's just like going at it and like the visual style kind of goes a little bit more uh grays and blacks and whites and um the the sound effects and the the music and everything it just like backs up like this this ba moment you know of him becoming the uh not just the samurai that's hunting people down, but this unkillable ghost like spirit that they're seeing in front of them. Like they have heard rumors and now here he is and he's cutting each and every single one of them down and it's hopeless for them. And you just feel like a total beast. Like I loved that moment. Like I was grinning from ear to ear when I first played that. Mm. Um, just absolutely adored that and there are other great moments but that was the one that like i think just playing especially was just a ton a ton of fun from the story and like we've been saying you know great story uh i've not played the dlc either so i can't speak to that side of things it just kind of seems like a weird like oh some other person with interest like whatever um dlc is great so far i have to tell you okay yeah okay yeah it's where it's i would say it's probably it's gonna be uh no, I, it's just really good. It's it the the gameplay isn't obviously different by very much, but the setting is is fantastic. It's like like sam, samurai meets pirates. It's really good. Sure, yeah, you'd like it. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, I don't like the shamans very much. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they're very inter- they're a good twists. Like they're definitely like they mix stuff up, but uh, they they stress frust- frustrate me, uh, stress me out. Um, another great moment. I just thought of this is the title screen. Oh, oh yeah what a banger title sp- screen bro like uh and this just plays into the visuals and maybe this is a good transition into the visuals of the game but you're just you're, you're you've played through the start of the game you've started to go on this quest of okay i know where my uncle is he's alive i've kind of figured stuff out with yuna i've gotten my gear and everything we're good to go and you get on your horse and you go out into the pompous grass and it's this beautiful flowing grass mm. and the music and you don't even think about it at first but you're just like going across uh you know the sun is out just enough you see the the rays coming across uh your character and your horse and um the music begins to crescendo and as you're going through this grass, which is flowing in a way that you haven't seen in any other video game before a gin reaches down and he begins to like, uh, run his hand through it as they're galloping. And then it's like ghost of Tsushima and it like the music just goes up and I just like chills, man, chills every time. It's such a great, fantastic opening to what became 
a also fantastic story and style, and uh, it just kept delivering, especially on the visuals. Was there a particular part of the map that you found the most visually striking? Like I said, I took so many screenshots of this game. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I promote this game, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna create a thread of some of my best screenshots uh, and and just upload them all to Twitter from my PlayStation app. And the anywhere from a shrine is incredible. The shrines serve yes. as, in my opinion, oh my gosh. The, the pinnacle. Other than the final battle with uh, Uncle or Lord Shimra, because that underneath, like the contrast between, and I wore, oh my goodness. I wore the white Ronin armor set. I went to the white dye and I wore the Ronin set with no uh, headband and no mask. So it felt like my outfit almost contrasted Lord Shimra's. It was really, I don't know, it just cinematically worked in my head. Visually popped. Yes, yes. Um, and so as he walked away, you know, he had the white Ronin outfit on, like just showing that he was an outcast. And I just really love how it just, I accidentally pulled it together. Um, and, um, and it's funny because I just equipped it because that's, that was the best charm lineup for duels. <laughs> um, but the, um, the, the, the Lord Shimra fight, I took like screenshots of them walking down the stairs together of that red, the blossoms, you know, the, the leaves falling from that tree over mm-hmm. Jin's uh, family grave, like tremendous visuals and colors and pop. But undoubtedly, some of the most breathtaking moments um, are when you f- hit the top of shrines and you can see from like as far as the draw distance will let you in any direction you're looking. Um, out to sea is a little weak, to be honest, but other than that, like I- anywhere you look on the map is tremendous. Um, visually, probably my favorite were the shrines in the northernmost part of the map because that startling white contrasty you know looks to them um, were tremendous. I-, I also really really like the golden forest down at the bottom of the map, um, the Golden Temple, you know, abs- beautiful. I hated the marsh area. I don't know if you, um, I just didn't like the swampiness. It just looked, because it was all brown and stuff. I liked like, that it was different, but you're right. Sure. It wasn't as visually striking. Yeah, Amugi Cove, that's one of the, Amugi Cove is cool. I almost feel like, well, I guess it kind of does take place in that area. I don't know. Uh, Umugi Cove would have been a, a great segue into the DLC because it feels piratey, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I would say the the and visually too, combat especially the duels take place in these iconic locations. Did you finish Ooh, yeah. the uh, duels with the Ronins all the way through? Oh yes, yes, yes. He that's one of the best like side Absolutely. quest things. It's so great, and the final fight with that final Ronin um, is in an iconic spot, the cave of the Buddha, dude legendary like some of the best uh backdrops to a fight you can ever have um so that one the lord shimmer fight were top two for me for sure but there's also these duels were thrown in on the shore or in the mud pile or on roses or you know the lady masako fight is really really good um Mm -hmm. so how about you so like you're we're talking about visuals tell me like Give me a vomit of because i just vomited a bunch of stuff at you (laughs) tell me all of your word vomit for your favorite visuals Dude, I mean, it just, oh my goodness. I remember when you come across the Golden Temple, um, I kind of just happened on it. And that was the way I wanted to play this game. And this is definitely a game you want to kind of just allow yourself to be immersed in. Obviously, you have a map, but even the map is like super minimalistic. So it's not going to show you the visual beauty. Um, You have to be in the game to see that. Um, And 
Oh my! Like going across the Golden Temple and like seeing all the golden leaves, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then when you go towards your home and you pass by, or maybe you stop in—I can't remember exactly—but uh, you pass by where that training grounds is, where you've seen in your flashbacks uh, with Lord Shimura, and he yeah, had been training Omi you, and showing you. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, yeah, and you're just looking around. I was just tremendous. Yeah, just staring. Yeah, and this is definitely a game, like. If there is any game to take pictures of, it is this game. This is exactly what I want my video games to look like. Yeah. Like, drop dead gorgeous, detail, effects that are to die for, but they are in a style, you know? Like, they're not going for hyper-realism, like hyper-detail, which yeah. they, they are realistic. The The character models and stuff do give you that. The animations are there. Amazing facial animation. But this is, this is a piece of art, you know? Um, and they dedicate themselves to that like this is art it's not a photograph it is medieval japan but it is inspired by that and you can see that all throughout the game like obviously um real japan in its own beauty is still going to feel like part of our world you know whereas this feels like something something on another level and i i couldn't get enough of it playing through it now on the ps5 this is the way to play it the oh, ps4 yeah, is for also sure. beautiful but i just like playing through it again i haven't finished the game on my second playthrough but i was just playing one of the missions with norio and his sleeve is just like rippling <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh dude like what amazing detail and um just fantastic visuals on so many levels um <laughs> oh my goodness Great, great. I don't even know how to even explain it better than that. Like, it doesn't have HUD because it wants you to just stare at it. Like, yeah. it doesn't want to distract you with yep. all the different menus and options. It wants yep. you to just look at it because it looks so freaking good. Yeah. And I've I've always thought that that was a risk that games took, and a lot of games can't live up to that, but this game does. Um, so much drip, dude, in the freaking armor. Like, yes. all your different um, costumes, the different pieces of armor, your equipment that you can put on, are just all amazing looking. And obviously, celebrations of Japanese culture, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't be able to find something that good looking, at least unless you were, like, the highest lord in the land yep. uh, back in the day. But, like, you've got it all <laughs> in this game, and it's all amazing. And you're just, like, constantly swapping stuff out, very much going for fashion. And as you, and I love that, like, uh, as you upgrade armor, it changes in its looks and gives you like the better version, the better looking version of that. And it um, constantly, you know, changes and, and alters. Yeah. And I think that's cool. Gives you more options. Um, and just in all these little things, like just beautiful, beautiful. They let you color it. Oh, man. I mean, now just... let me jump in here because I'll, I'll forget this if I don't jump in here. I think there's no better place to jump in. The now, now. Another complaint. I have a complaint. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, I have a. I have a complaint, sir. Um, the 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 biggest. I was a little disappointed. One of the first cutscenes that I ever had. I'm trying to remember which cutscene it was. Oh, it was in the fort. You remember when you liberate old Yara, uh, Yarakawa? Do you remember that? Um, kind of vaguely. I don't know. Me. It's one of the forts. It's one of the forts. There's okay. a moment in which you step into. This is before the poison. Um, this is, I think the first time you get the moniker of the ghost, uh, it might be the same fort that you get the ghost mode at. I can't remember, 
But essentially, I had gone off and found, uh, uh, I think it was Gosaku's armor, one of the legendary armors, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, It might have actually just been plain samurai armor. It might have been the one that Lady Masako gives you. I can't remember. But during this cutscene, in which now the cutscenes are reflect, they are not actual uh, production animated scenes. They are gameplay scenes, right? Because you need to be able to use all of your outfits. So, like, uh, for in, you could tell this in like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. There's some scenes in which Aloy is wearing the standard story mode gear, and then other scenes in which she's wearing gear that you've equipped for her. Right. So, um, so anyway, this this game has all because they they have a whole like. In fact, you can search on your map for vanity items. Right. So you can actually go search out these different masks and headbands and different stuff like that. But. One of the things that took me out of this game repeatedly was just, I, I don't want to say glitches per se, but like hmm. just things that take you out of the immersive res- experience and, and remind you that you are playing a game. And one of sure. those was during this cutscene in which Jin's shoulder pad kept cutting through his face, like glitching through his face while he was talking to the character. And I'm like, now, I know I'm being nitpicky. I understand that. But it does slightly ruin the immersive experience when you have things like that you, that you haven't accounted for in the, um, you, you know what I mean? Like in every little scene, you didn't account for this, this here. Um, and another thing, while we're talking about visuals, is like I, I've noticed this a couple times, but never it has been more prominent than when, when you terrify enemies and they run away, have you ever had an anime that just like runs away from you? They all run the exact same. So I was just mm. playing the DLC and uh, in the massacre of Kitarawe or what I, these names trip me up. It's like trying to read from Genesis, the lineages, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, this, this particular storyline, you eventually get to the point where you terrify the enemy and about 10 of them run off at the same time. And they all are running the identical way. And they all jump the identical way. It's like, oh yeah, I'm in a game, and those are all spammed AIs, you know. And it's not spammed. You know what I mean? And um, I know what you mean, yeah. And so there's a couple moments like that that just take me out. Another one is like um, when you are executed after dying. You know, you're on the ground gasping for air, and you're executed. Uh, sometimes they will execute you at the wrong angle, and the character will just glitch to the right angle right before they do it. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. And know, it's, yeah. it's infuriating because you're already mad that you just died, right? Especially because you know <laughs> it, you could have set it at an easier difficulty, but you're just frustrating yourself. Um, so there's a couple nitpicky things, um, but I... I agree, though. I would expect just the cutscenes to be a little cleaner. Um, yeah. You know, but that's just, that's just me being pretty nitpicky. Um, but but yeah no I, the way that like clothes ripple like Jin's capes flow beautifully behind the horse while he's riding yes. the way the pompous grass you know wiggles in the wind and the way the wind blows man mm-hmm. just like when you swipe up on that trackpad um, and uh, another thing is the way they utilize all of the buttons on the controller love that but we can get to that in a second when we talk more about combat and stuff but um, yeah the way just the way the wind blows. Um, it, absolutely tremendous, and and um, but yeah. So tell me, um, tell me. I want to know, like, what's your go-to outfit? And now, a couple. Here's the thing. I actually didn't like, like, uh, did you do the legendary bow, like Tedori's armor? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I did. I I pretty much 
I didn't 100% it, but I did all the major stuff. And okay, the mythical gotcha. quests were always a, a joy. Gotcha. Um, those are always fun. Now, some of the outfits, the way they upgrade, I don't care for. Like, I just don't care for their final upgraded yeah. form. But but they do allow you to mix and match so that that's never really an issue. Um, but th- what's cool about a lot of these uh, armor pieces is that they, are, they serve a dual function. They can be... They can be uh, changed. They can be dyed certain different colors, which is a really cool touch to this game. I really enjoyed that. And they they also serve as like stat boosters in in many different ways. So tell me, like, what are some of your favorite outfits? Your favorite colors? Just tell me all about your vanity experience with this game. Man, um, I think my favorite outfit has to go with just his family armor. I think that that just was to me what he should wear and i think part of that was like the logo you know like the logo is what's on the cover of the game Mm -hmm. and um every time that i think of like trailers and stuff i think of him in that particular armor i that is one though i agree like as you as you progress and as you upgrade it i didn't care for some of the later upgrades in it so it's give and take in that way um but i'd say that one was my favorite Outside of that, I did go towards the Ronin a little bit. I like the straw hat look. I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's its own fun thing. I didn't like any hefty looking stuff. So um, most of the samurai armor, and I know that uh, his family armor is is the, kind of that way, especially towards the end. But um, not but so for much some reason, the family armor, the Sakai clan armor, looks really sleek. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Compared to other samurai armor, yeah. Um, so. I mix and match in that way. I didn't dye things too much. Now, I did start to dye the Traveler's Attire towards the end of the game, um, which the Traveler's Attire is fun because it's so simple. Uh, so especially once I got to that third area and I was doing all these like crazy costume combinations and I was kind of going over the top and then you go through this moment where now you're on your own, your horse has died and um, you're, you're, you're cut off from both your uncle and, um, of course the con still trying to catch, catch you and hunt you down. And like, I thought it just was fitting at that moment to just shed all the gaudiness and go back to just traveler's attire, just simple, get a headband or something. And that was fun. But, um, yeah, I, I, that'd be my answer. Yeah. I, um, now the Sakai clan armor, did you ever see it in its pure white form? I think so. I I want to say yes. A, a lot of this is from when I first played the game. I haven't gotten okay, gotcha, there in gotcha, my second gotcha. playthrough yet. So some of this stuff is a little bit more um, faded in my memory, unfortunately. That, that Sakai clan armor um, dyed pure white, dude. Dude, sexy as all get out. <laughs> Heck yeah. No, the yeah. white is beautiful yes. in most of the different costumes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, I totally agree with that. In fact, the black actually like falls short a little bit. And it's funny because I found the black dye merchant first in the second area before I found the white dye merchant in the first area. And that white looks so good, especially on the Ronin stuff. Oh, my goodness. That pure white looks beautiful. And the Genshi armor, which you get from battling all the, the Ronin, and then you finally do that final battle. The Kensei armor, pardon me, Kensei armor, that looks really good in the white dye. So like the white is killing it for sure it is um it pops really well yes it's it such a stark contrast but as far as like um i was a little disappointed with the sheer number of headbands i was like this is too many headbands that was a lot <laughs> yes. I, yes yes did you feel the same way i was like come Absolutely. on i don't want another headband for doing a haiku 
Well, and it was annoying too because sometimes like there was I think there was a couple of like legendary headbands. Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, or at least like at the end of like a very long side quest, I'd get a headband and be like, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like another freaking one of these? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you're so right about that. A lot of them are straight up ugly. I did love just about almost all of the sword kits. Those pillars of honor, when they stand ooh. out in the distance, you're like, ooh, 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 ooh. You race over to it with your horse because it's going to be another like you know, seriously good looking sword kit. Those are really cool. And I love that they, I didn't know this, but like sword kits obviously come in a, a variety, but are those like Japanese inspired in the sense that like some of them, like Sensei Ishikawa has this like leopard print, <laughs> leopard print, like a uh, sword sheath that has some fur on it. Is that like, do you know if that's uh, historically accurate? Did they have? I, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it would be like, I wouldn't, be surprised at all to hear that right right you're right though like there's some of those like fatter with like a big feather one yep, on yep. it and it's like would someone have actually used that i was like i always well, felt weird using them yeah yeah me too well a lot of them didn't go very well with my outfits to be honest right <laughs> and i'm like over here like a fashionista with my samurai outfits but um but yeah no i i was like oh i wonder if that's like if if clans actually did some of that you know like um you know if they had those fur linings or something like that um, you know, I, I, I felt like I just wanted more of the vanity gear. I wanted more variety. I wanted more masks. I did all of the vanity gear on Tsushima Island and there just wasn't enough different masks. I didn't like too many of them. Um, there's some fashion choices I didn't care for. The half masks didn't look good in my mind. Um, some of the things, um, you know, it just stylized preferences, but, yeah. but, um, but, and, namely when I think of like a disappointment with something's upgraded, the ghost armor in the first phase looks the best. It's like nice and tight. Uh, It's got those, uh, the bezels up top, not bezels, whatever they are. I I don't know. It almost looks like pseudo chain mail almost. Mm -hmm. And the later ghost armor is kind of like, not like chaotic a little bit. Like it lacks some, I don't know. What's the word? These are all artistic preferences. Absolutely. But um, so Josh, what so tell me more about the i want to know your 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 loadouts your your like what armor set was your favorite to combat with like tell me tell me that oh jared you asked me questions it's just been so long since i mixed and <laughs> I feel matched bad now. <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know if i can answer cuz i can't even remember off the top of my head what each of them did i know that they all had distinct things but um isn't the ghost the ghost is the one that like plays into like your terror mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um like ghost stance specifically like destroying people in a number of oh no no it it adds to what would become your ghost stance or whatever so it, i liked using yeah. that in combat for that yeah. reason um I can't remember what other armors did, to be honest. Well, yeah. Well, I asked just because a couple of them have different... I mix and match a lot of them different. The Ronin armor offers some um, a variety of bonuses. Uh, perfect parries are easier, stuff like that. You know, mostly for duels, it's really popular. Um, the uh, clan Sakai armor actually, to me, I found to be very useful to take on a lot of these Mongol camps. Or, at least, or pardon me groups of Mongol warriors on the road because it increases your standoff streak to five. So you can take out five dudes just by, you know, clicking, you know, triangle a couple times. 
So that yeah. was really nice. The Kenshi armor has some bonuses, but it just looks cool. That's why I like it. And the ghost armor obviously decreases the number of kills it takes to reach ghost mode. So that's that's super handy. You got the okay, Mongolian yeah. armor that's got some tank, like massive health boost, massive damage reduction. So that's nice. Um, even in lethal mode, you don't get one shot when you're wearing that armor. So that's nice. Um, so there's a in Tadayora's armor uses archer has boosts your archery stats and stuff. So um, no, I'm just curious about your your load. It has been a while, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. About that. No, and I think I think like that's a great tie into combat. Like the fact that we're talking about all the visuals, like a lot of this does affect how the gameplay works out, which is which is awesome. Like you you want that you want your game to have that interplay, um, and it not all just be about how you look, uh, but also how you play and the the different pieces of armor really do that incredibly well here and lots of other games do like rpgs are known for that i mean fashion souls is like a whole thing you know (laughs) um but here like it does it does like it plays into the decisions you're making and i know for me even like depending on what part of the game i was in kind of like i said at the end i kind of switched to traveler's attire but like depending on the mission i was playing i put on a mask so that just felt right yeah um yeah yeah and then depending on the the you know if i was in a duel or if i was going to go take out a camp i'd wear specific armor because it would give me those particular boosts and that's what you want like you want that like you don't want it to all just be visually engaging which it is and all of it is very very pretty uh but it also has those implications in the um gameplay of it as well um where so Tied closely to the vanity gear are like masks and, you know, different like side quests give you rewards and stuff like this. But also the haikus give you a headband every time you finish a haiku. Did you enjoy the the haiku? Um, so explain it to our listeners and then sure. tell me, like, did you write any good haikus? Because I wrote <laughs> two or three that I'm like, these are bangers. Like, these are actually <laughs> really good. And I was very That's proud great. of myself. Tell me about your haiku experience. Haikus are great, man. I mean, the 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 goal of this game is immersion. You know, we've talked about that, and and a haiku is that. Like, that's a part of that culture. And um, a lot of people, because you learn haikus in school or whatever, sometimes you don't even realize it comes from ancient Japan. And like to see that and him sit down and reflect, and um, you know, you get that in other times as well. Like, I like when he goes and takes a bath, and you get to see his his beautiful backside, um, and just like reflect on something from the past, like. All of those side things that you're doing, uh, the fox dens and whatnot, like they all make you feel like you're a part of this whole little island of Tsushima, um, which is great. I love that. That's all awesome. And the haikus are definitely a part of that. I don't know if I did one that I remember, <laughs> but I did feel like there was a couple that I was like, oh, yeah, that sounded pretty good. And there were a couple that I was like, uh-uh, that didn't work very well. Like I chose very different ideas <laughs> between like one, two and three prompts. Um, but always great. Like, and it takes a moment, you know, you sit down and the music's like, dun, 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 dun. And there's like a little, you know, um, vocalization, some old Japanese ladies singing in the background and, um, you get to pick that out. So that was fun. Like, I love that. Like, I don't want that to ever be removed. Like, even though it's probably not everybody's favorite thing, like, really a haiku like i'd rather be slaying some mongols right now um but i i thought it was great i don't know if i was good at it <laughs> but uh had a good time with it what was do you remember what your banger was i'm trying to um i'm actually like looking for it i feel like i took a picture of it somewhere 
Well, yeah, keep keep looking. I wanted to also just visually say a couple of things, and then we can move into combat here. Um, let's see. Um, oh, uh, and, and actually, this, this does kind of tie into combat as well. Uh, little flourishes were also cool. Um, within the combat itself, yes, like his stance, his movements, very distinct from other games. Um, but even just like at the end, once you've finished, you can kind of like wipe off your sword and he does it in different ways. You know, he'll spin his sword or he'll, uh, he'll, he'll run it across his arm or whatever, and then put it back into the sheath. Beautiful little visual like bits that they just sprinkle throughout the little flourishes are awesome. Um, this is one of those games that, you know, just auditorily, visually, few games can match. Like, I cannot imagine, like, even just that, what I just said, like, the, the flourish of, like, cleaning off your sword. If you showed that to people back in, like, the 80s, dude, like, arcade goers who were, you know, going and playing um, Centipede and Pac-Man, and you showed them this game, they their minds would be blown. Like, uh, this would kill George Washington, you know, um, in its, its visual style. So, in, in so many different ways, a, a wonderful game. This makes me want... Um, and this was a thought I wrote down, and I'm curious what you'd think of this, Jared. But um, this would make me want, like, as someone who is obviously an American, uh, comes from a traditional background, kind of a more Christian heritage, I would love this same commitment to authenticity, this treatment given to uh, some more focused Christian culture, um, whether that's medieval Christian culture, um, whether that's early colonial American Christian culture or whatever. Um, and just seeing like what that would have been like the little things that people did like haikus. Um, but obviously different things that they did in their own little societies, uh, realized in a game. I will never get that because we have an industry that is very liberal, but, um, I'd love to see that. And the, the commitment to the detail, the commitment to the immersion is this game's, I think, pinnacle achievement i think far better than any other part of this game i think that's what makes this game stand out uh above the rest did you find it (laughs) yes i i did um let's see here so the haiku uh a reflection on death so what's what's cool about the haikus is that he um kneels down right um and Oh, as a side note, those golden birds are more annoying than they are helpful. I don't know if you had. Mm. They are so annoying. They'll find especially when it like they're like like, down and then it goes way up like a cliff or something, and you're like, okay, yeah. (laughs) Now I gotta find out how to get up there. A more annoying game mechanic than the wind. The wind is just fine. It's perfectly vague. You don't need anything extra. Yeah, the birds are stupid. They're so annoying. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, so Haiku of Death, you get the headband of death, which also is one of my favorites because it's like white with a little bit of tint to it. So it like looks, it matches a lot of things. But essentially, um, it was a reflection on death. And it was, um, you know, a Haiku is five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables again, if I remember correctly. Um, so I don't know if it translates from Japanese to English, but it was, it, here, here it goes. Worries strangle growth. Escaping higher we climb ready for the end. And I just, there was a couple Mm. of times, that's just one, there was a couple of times where I was just 
blown away by like their ability to make numerous different phrases work together. Like that has to be mm-hmm. very difficult, right? Like they're not pulling random phrases. These are obviously related to the titles. Like the haiku on serenity is really good. Um, I liked all of the phrases for that one. And then the haiku on death, it's a little bit abstract, but I really like it because I felt like my view on death is that, you know, like I said in the first line, worry, strangle, growth. Escaping from those worries, we eventually climb maybe to a better astral plane or a higher spiritual level and then peacefully embrace the end, right? Once we get past those worries. And just for them to give that, you know, craft that option, to have a player like kneel down as Jin and then try to create a haiku out of thin air would be a disaster. It would be the least popular thing in the game. But to mix and match these and then Red and Jin's monotone, thoughtful voice was an excellent just extra little dash in the game that I really relished and I enjoyed all of them. Um, I, I really liked all of that. I thought, and the way that the game ends too, when you battle Lord Shimra um, and you know the drill and you're reflecting on, you know, your relationship having gone sour and, you know, it, it's all impactful. It's all beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's all very, very well done. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, as to As to your comments earlier about an in-depth, you know, if you're going to make a period piece, it should be Ghost of Tsushima level detailed. I totally agree. But if this is going to be how detailed it's going to be, I'm interested in every time period of history, if that makes sense. Ooh. Like, like I really yeah. couldn't pick and choose. If you want to do, like, Red Dead Redemption is, like, you know, a pretty fun cowboy adventure, right? You know, um, you know, it's obviously another open world, and you got some other other things like that. So you, you got fantasy, sci-fi blended in different categories and whatever else. But if it's going to be a period piece, I want it to be as detailed as Ghost of Tsushima. Because, and this is no better example of this is than the landscape, you know, transitions, you know, the colors, the, the whatever else. But the way that they set the tone and the mood by your ability to play the flute and change the weather is such a random, like, off the wall idea. But it made me hunt down every single singing cricket so that I could make it rain. I could make it foggy. I could make it sunny. And like the first one that you learn is the sun's warm embrace. And it really did legitimately brighten my playthrough. I played that all the time to sunny things up again. Um, and because the game's weather patterns are flawless. They're just like constantly changing, constantly dealing with different things. I loved every second of the vibes that this game gave off. Yep. Can't agree more. And you bring up Red Dead. I think that's a game that's like that's in competition with Ghost in its mm. level of dedication yeah. to detail. So great example. Um, yeah, that's all I had to say. <laughs> that's fine. I think we can. Um, I feel like I've I pulled away far enough. We should definitely jump into into. Con- oh wait, well, well, one more thing I will say is that the landscape design of this game is bar none one of the best landscape designs I have ever played in my life. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, um, evidenced by the traversal feels a little bit like horizon zero dawn. Sometimes it can be tedious or annoying, but for the most part, it's fine. Um, pretty straightforward, really easy telegraphed where you're supposed to go next and stuff like that. That's fine. Um, and they do shortcuts, short cu- uh, cuts up and down cliffs and different things like that. That's how you traverse the shrines. That makes it kind of fun or whatever else, but no more, uh, 
is there's no more better example more better there's no better example of landscape design than the Inari shrines because I never would find a single Inari shrine without the fox den they have hidden yeah. these tiny little things and cracks and coves and these little I would never ever in a million years find these Inari shrines if I didn't have that little the fox dens as like legit map markers they are so well hidden uh, around nooks and crannies, showing off the verticality of their ability to build out this island from top to bottom. Like paint, it feels like the landscape was painted on by these developers. It's so well done, a absolute masterclass in in incorporating, you know, a, a tremendous breadth of hor horizontal landscape and and verticality up and down. Anyway, yeah, along the lines of that, I I 100% agree. You're right. Like, and the fox Dens is a great example the mystery like you you get these moments where like you, you hear about this legend or something mm -hmm. and you you actually go somewhere in the map that you didn't even know you could get to or like goes in this way yeah. you go around a cliff or something and like you're you're impressed that this has been hidden there and you can imagine like it makes perfect sense why nobody's ever been there yep or have only heard rumors of it yep and it's that's all comes down to the design um beautiful beautiful vistas which we've said already um going up to any cliff and seeing i remember distinctly this last playthrough um i went up to and i don't even remember exactly where it was but the sun was setting at the time and you know you get that sunset colors the, the purples and the reds and um they were like reflecting off of like uh, the sea and you could see the fleet, the entire fleet, the Mongol fleet was out there. It was the start of the game, so they were still kind of like on force coming in. And on the other side of me, so like you see the sea over here, this inlet, beautiful rays of sun going off of it. And on the other side of it, in the distance, past these beautiful hills, uh, full of color, you see Castle Canada, which mm. is going to be my goal a little bit later. And it's like this imposing force. And I love, once you go through the castle, you go out the other side with your uncle and you follow this little path down to a swampy area and it just strikes you. Like you feel like, okay, I'm I'm in a different part of yeah. this island. Yeah. And the game does that to you over and over and over and uh, can't get enough of it. Um, so combat, Jared, there's a lot of different aspects to it. I wanted to ask you uh, if you felt like it was a bit much. Now, I don't think I think that, but, and you brought up the game uses pretty much every single button on your controller, but did you find it tedious at all to switch between the different forms and balance between all the different um, tools at your disposal? You know, every time that you want to switch to a different um, projectile, you know, you got to pull up that menu to do that. Um, and then same thing with combat forms as well. So did you find that? annoying was it something that was hard for you at first and you got used to or uh what did you think of it no there's no better way to do it now the only difficulty is that if i and it makes sense the way they did it if i want to throw something with my hand i click the left stick right and then i choose uh, i check i click l2 or I hold l2 and then pick from the, either my poison dart gun my blow gun or my two types of bow and arrows or my handheld objects right and then on the other side you know, I click L2, touch that, and then I hit a triangle, square, circle, or whatever for the, the projectile I want to throw. Makes total sense. Arrows are simplified to two types. I have a heavy arrow, an explosive arrow, and then on my short half bow, I have a regular arrow and then a flame arrow. Makes perfect sense. The only difficulty that I had um, was when I was strafing or trying to get away from 
combatants while choosing my items. Because most of the time, it's just ghost weapons. And those are my quick throw, right? So like it's either kunais or the smoke bomb or a sticky bomb or my flame blade if you if you get that. Um, which is less useful than it should be, but it's fine. Um, but the that was great. Ghost weapons need to be quick accessible, and they are. So just click, you know, uh, R1 to select it, and then or, or R2 to select it, and then R1 to set it off. Very, very yeah. fast. To set and set and forget it, really. So that was great. There's no better way to do the bows than how they did set it up, because most of the time, if you're shooting a bow and arrow, you're standing still, so it makes sense to be on the strafing side of your controller, assuming you don't have your... your uh, your Joy-Cons, not Joy-Cons, you know what I mean? Your dual, your sticks <laughs> switched, right? Some people switch them. But because you have to be... a Switch be, reference, too. No pun intended. Say what again? I said that was a Switch reference. You said Joy-Con, so... Yeah, no well, yeah, yeah. I don't know what else to call it. Um, your joystick, whatever. It's, um, because you have to strafe, it means that throwing projectiles from that, you know, the L2 menu is a little difficult, and that's only a problem if you're trying to throw uh, the the shrapnel bomb that's on the the circle button. But most of the time you're doing that before you get into combat. So I do see, like, I don't, I can't make any improvements because it's the best way to utilize all the buttons on the controller. Um, And so other than strafing and trying to do some things that, that was difficult, but it's fine. Um, Yeah. Again. Well, in the game too, like you don't lock on in this game. It's a, like, you, you kind of like, you go around yes. the group and you're right. Like sometimes like trying to roll away isn't as intuitive as you might think because of the fact that you don't have really lock on. You kind of just whoever's closest to you, which you can kind of get a feel for like how yeah. to manipulate that. So yeah. it's not too bad. It was for me hard to kind of get used to though. Not going to lie. Like the beginning of this game, the first time I played through it kicked my butt over and over and over. And then it finally clicked at some point and I don't really know what changed for it to click for me. Um, but that definitely plays a factor into just the flow of the combat. Not a bad factor, but it makes it feel very different from other games. Um, I agree, though. I think there is no better way to utilize all the different tools at your disposal than what they did. Um, but it does, because of that, just have a ton of slowdown because you're switching between stuff all the time, uh, which gives it a different feel. And coming off of a game like Elden Ring... You didn't have that, so it's just different. You know, it's just very different because of that. Um, I personally had again, once again, this playthrough here a, a hard time because of the button changes. Like I really wanted to, I really contemplated Jared switching my attack to like R one just a better match, oh, better Sekiro. match from software. Yeah, yeah, or Sekiro. Yeah, um, and I decided to stick with the developers vision that decision and i think that's the way to play this game but square does feel like old school almost because of games like from software and assassin's creed games like if you play those they're all on r1 god of war god of war was on r1 uh as as you swing so this was different and i love (laughs) and every single time that you jump into a new game you have to relearn (laughs) yeah you have to like unlearn what you just learned and then like retrain your button reflexes (laughs) Which sucks. Yes. <laughs> it sucks so much sometimes. But it's just a process. Like, you just got to go through that, you know? Yeah. As far as um, throwing me into the deep end, I actually felt like 
Ghost of Tsushima gently coaxed me into the more complex aspects of the game. You're right. Yeah, I agree because by the end, it's so complex. Yes. You're right. Um, and there's a lot of different enemy types and stuff. So I, I agree. It does kind of coax you into it. I think there was just like for me something about the timing of the of the swings and uh, how I operated around enemies and stuff didn't click right away. Um, so it's not a complaint. I don't think that I would say like I'd stick to the final tally of this game, but one no, 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 you're, mention. you are perfectly valid because there's no lock on your, your dodge rolling is funky. It doesn't like it lacks the precise directionality of a from soft dodge roll, uh, in which whatever you're pushing the, well, part of that is because you're not behind Jin all the time. Your right. camera sometimes is facing the opposite. So you really do have to like, it's a complex game because you have to directionally attack the way you want to attack. There's no lock on. So the camera kind of like, it follows you, but you are rotating in the camera. It's kind of funky. Uh, and, and that's for sure. So dodge rolling, they, they really want you to parry, I think more often than not, but you know, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But the, yeah, you're totally right. Your your critiques on the dodge rolling are spot on. And additionally, when it comes to dodge rolling specifically, so, well, let me, I'm going to talk generally about the combat here and then we'll get to dodge rolling specifically because I have this whole argument yeah, well, about... Yeah, well, Jared, I wanted you to like kind of do a comparison here because you were playing Sekiro and Ghost at the same yes. time. Yeah, so... Um, I kind of want to hear that from you. And, and you're right, like, this this does have a lot of pairing in it, which is Sekiro. Yeah. And the obviously the posture break, too, is, is very much Sekiro as well. So uh, give me some of that perspective. Yeah, so Sekiro, like, for instance, just playing uh, Seven Spears, Ashina, or whatever his name is, um, and he... You cannot just break his posture. Sekiro is a combination of like dodging attacks that will kill you in two hits more than likely. Um, and, and just be playing perfect. You got to get good, right? As opposed to, and that's how you break poison. You break, break stagger as opposed to in the, in Ghost of Tsushima, it's just a matter of hitting the triangle, triangle button three times. Um, and that's how you stagger Cause you got to be in the right stance and then you, it's a guaranteed stagger after a while. Um, so there, the comparisons are, you know, absolutely brutal fundamentals versus um absolutely you know necessary complexity so you there's a different key for each lock in ghost of tsushima as opposed to sekiro which is one key and you better master it or you're done um so there's a distinct difference um and obviously the placement of the buttons block l1 strike r1 that's it that's all you got um and you get your your obviously your sekiro your moves or whatever whirlwind slash stuff like that but um but certainly the 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 pick and not pick and roll it like Horizon Zero Dawn you had the bow and arrow and that was it um, and so well you had your staff but kind of a non-issue so when you chose a type of arrow it was you know you select on the dial so you click a button you roll your stick to get the dial right in Ghost of Tsushima it's like a combination of of dials and buttons and like a bunch of stuff and, and so it's 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 a little different but it reminded me more of especially incorporating all your tools reminded me more of Horizon Zero Dawn than it did of Sekiro other than the parrying and this is where you can get into a conversation about Ghost of Tsushima from a couple different perspectives right like um you can fight hordes of Mongols one way and then get your butt handed to you in a duel because you 
it's a totally different thing that you're doing. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and that was largely frustrating for me because it you know you can't use your ghost tools in a duel because that'd be stupid, right? Because you throw a smoke bomb down, and then you can chain assassinate three people. <laughs> it's like you can't do that in a duel, right? And I think like it, your fundamentals were like restricted to your duels and then your all your fun tools and gadgets and knickknacks and stuff were for the gank squads of mongol hordes and so they're two different conversations but they're fun you know depending on how you do it i i felt like did you like that like did you like that they were distinct in that way (sighs) and this is where this is where yes and no yes and no in this is where we get to my I like the bow and arrow. Bow and arrow is near flawless. Like you're not going to use it all the time, but it's a good compliment. And the heavy arrows, explosive arrows, that was a great addition. The the ghost tools, great addition. But I couldn't help but hate spearmen. Did you struggle with spearmen more than any other? Oh my goodness, dude! Something about there the was... timing on that yeah. particular enemy is absolutely brutal. Yeah, the timing of it. I think that like it just kind of sucks. Like it's not. It doesn't seem fair very often. And they it's arbitrary in like how fast they thrust. <laughs> um so yeah, the Spearman is a great example of like where this game's complexity is what I think they're going for, but in my mind it just feels kind of like you're you're cheapening things really did start to play. Yeah. Yeah. I have you ever watched a fencing match um, at the Olympics? I don't think so, actually. At so, least not like a legit one. Not yeah. Like I've seen like fake ones. Yeah. The fencing matches are, you know, you're covered head to toe in white. You have sensors all over your body. And you have a mask that's like, you know, thick. So you look kind of like, like an alien. You look like a silver tear, like a silver tear husk from Elden Ring. That's what you look like. Um, and you are... Um, your whole goal is to like poke and poke and poke and poke and poke. And to be honest with you, you look at each of these, you know, young kids and they're fencing like, yes, victory and all this different stuff. And you're like, yeah, but your sword bent, you poked them. Like it, it looks flimsy. It doesn't feel like real fighting. And that is how (laughs) the spearmen feel to me because I'll be like actually fighting Mm. a brute and I'll be kicking him in the shield and staggering him, or I'll be fighting someone with a sword or someone with a sword and shield, or I'll be charging at an archer. And then a spearman will just gank me from the side. And it's like, you stupid little, and I, you know, this, Well, and they sometimes don't stagger either. Like a lot of the other guys, I felt like it was pretty fair in like, the give and take between you hitting them and them hitting you. But the spearman just ignored that half yes. the time. Yes. It was very annoying because of that. Yes. And your, your overhead, your, your, um, for the spearman, you're literally rotating your entire body to strong strike them. And it was a movement that took forever as opposed to like with the shield guys, it's like an up slash and a down slash and they're staggered. That's it. And, um, I just found the spearman to be particularly feisty and annoying. And this is where this whole conversation about how the game should be played pops into my head. Um, And I don't think the answer is lethal mode. And, you know, so I played lethal mode for, I have 67 hours in the game. I just looked today. Um, 
67 hours, and I played over 40 of that in lethal mode. I decided pretty quickly to move from easy to medium, medium to hard, hard to lethal, because I didn't feel like hard was challenging enough, and I was like craving some Elden Ring level difficulty. Um, well, so, dude, and the easy and medium are like it's jokes. a cakewalk, and yeah, even it's the a hard, like, yeah, yeah. It's it's like, and, and part of it is like you just have too much at your disposal sometimes. Like yeah. the kunai are so broken, like you can just stagger anybody just like actually that's what i used to to take down most of the spear guys (laughs) i just like hit them with that and then kill them really fast (laughs) yeah exactly uh i so i played on a lethal mode because i wanted to get some difficulty in there and the it it was absolutely maddening to be one-shotted by low-level enemies repeatedly and having to replay our you know battles repeatedly because of the lethal mode difficulty, like the, I guess the parry windows or the perfect dodge windows are the same, I guess. But if you do get tagged, you're done. Like you one shot, you're out. And it's like, it was stupidly frustrating, especially with the spear guys. I just hated them by the end of it. Um, and, and two, the combat is just not refined enough in that, in the gank squad area of it. Because when you, deal with a horde of mongols if you get surrounded by a group you're gonna get tagged and and downed and out really quick you gotta like smoke bomb and get out of there or you gotta do something because you're gonna die and maybe that's the game's way of like forcing you to play a certain way but it was ridiculously frustrating to have a character follow me as i dodge rolled did you never notice that it's like they no, were yeah the tracking yes, is, is over the top it's in ridiculous a lot of situations. like yeah. literally ridiculous I would be dodge rolling and they'll just follow me mid swing. Like they have an unparryable attack. And if I dodge roll away from them, they'll just like their character will glide across the ground as they finish their attack and then finish me off. It's stupid looking. It looks ridiculous in addition to playing ridiculously. So it is, it is not a fun time. I do not enjoy that. Um, and that is where, you know, particularly it's the same thing will happen in duels. They'll just, well duels aren't as bad but they'll just follow you they just track with you and it's stupidly annoying and i i really think like that specifically is what lowers this combat beneath the likes of like an a plus i would give like the combat like an a minus b plus as opposed to better honed combat systems like in sekiro especially in some in some dark souls stuff now the dark souls input reading is really annoying um but for the most part it's it's mostly fair but this game yeah, I I just couldn't deal, man. It made me so mad. I was like yelling at the TV screen because I yeah, felt like feels that was like ridiculously they're, unfair. They're fabricating the difficulty in that way, and especially in lethal, I could see that really playing out poorly. I didn't like lethal because of that, so I didn't play it very much. I do think it works just aesthetically, and then also like adds a little bit of a extra level of tension to the duels. Um, lethal works super well for duels. But yeah, in groups, it just didn't seem worth it. Um, and I wonder, like, I never thought about it, but I think you're right. They are kind of trying to force you to play a certain way. Like, they don't want you to walk into a camp and samurai slay everybody. They want you to be a ghost. Like, they want you to try to pick off a few people first and then maybe inevitably start to fight everybody else. But then, yeah, you smoke bombs and stuff to get away. And that kind of sucks. Like, I kind of wish that they had given you the option of, like, let's 
play this the samurai way, but let's also, or let's play this the ghost way, but then also have the option to play it the samurai way. Um, yeah, and it doesn't seem like it, it, it feels like it's built specifically for ghosting. Yeah. And like the ghost tools are a ton of fun, kunai and all, and all that different stuff, but, but there is definitely a disconnect between the fun of sneaking through a camp and assassinating half of them. And then, you know, your cover's blown. So you got to finish off the rest of them in a, in a group squad style. Um, that's a ton of fun. But when you're dealing with these like battles, especially in, you know, when you have Yuna or Massacre with you or some Mas- uh, lady Massacre or something like that, and you get like just stabbed in the back by some spear guy because they're following you while you roll. It's ridiculously annoying, stupid. So it's, it, those are unavoidable group fights. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to yeah. the camps can be avoided. So the, Do the spear guys just like haunt you. Yeah. Well, though they annoy me. That's for sure. Now <laughs> the duels on lethal mode. I also found those to be maybe like more trouble than they were worth, I suppose, because yeah, they well, still track you. They're, they do. And it's a stamina game. Like you're, you're trying to last as long as possible and break there, um, which is that's Sekiro. <laughs> I yeah. mean, in its own way, but Sekiro wasn't one shot. So, well, it's it's Sekiro, not Sekiro. What's interesting about it's like almost like they skip each other. So, Ghost of Tsushima works when you're dealing with a group of individuals because you're not tracking one character. So you can actually you can really con- you can dodge roll out of a group of individuals by, you know, it's more Elden Ring than it is anything else i suppose but with sekiro if you get turned around you know you are you can easily get you know wrecked because you're locked in right um as opposed to you don't have to lock on to the enemy that you're facing in a duel whereas in ghost of tsushima they are in front of you almost the entire time so i I don't know it's like it breaks its own rules by being inconsistent you you have in the format of the um, groups of Mongol hordes, this ability to like free roam and face any direction. But in the duels, they force you to face head on and abandon some of your, you know, tools and tricks and stuff. And then it's, then you have to deal with the tracking head on. And I don't know if you ever had like, especially that the Ronin in the final, in the cave, you know, the, the final Ronin Kenshi or Kensei, he was obnoxious. He was absolutely obnoxious. There were some attacks that he would just follow me all, halfway across the Dagum Pond. I was just rolling backwards repeatedly, and he just swiping right along, happy as a camper. And I felt like that's ridiculous. At least in Sekiro, when you're locked on, and it's just the two of you, and you backstep, like, you're out of range. You know what I'm saying? There's no, like, their attack has a limited area. So I appreciate the the consistency there, but I'm kind of rambling a little bit. But like, I did get really frustrated with this game, and I don't think you should play it on lethal mode. I think you should play it on hard. Um, yeah, and but it sucks because it's not even in hard. It's not going to give you maybe that challenge you want. Right, it's just not there, and it. I think that honestly comes down to the fact that this is not as well honed of a combat system as other games so you're just like it it, it it the things that they do to make it difficult are those cheap things so you don't want more of that right right <laughs> so you i mean you can increase the the lethality of it but yeah at some point you either get to one shot or you drop it down to that next level maybe if there's like right somewhere in between i don't know yeah because hard like you'll take two three hits and you're down so 
it does seem like it's that next level in some cases. But, yeah, I don't know exactly how to bridge that gap. Yeah. No, I mean, lethal's ridiculous. If you if you get hit by one orange-labeled attack, you know, the one you have to dodge, you can't parry, you're done. You're out. And all of that progress yeah. you made in that duel is gone. Um, you know, I think hard is the right level to play this game at. Otherwise, you will get... You will get frustrated, and the reward doesn't increase. It's not like you get bonus uh, silk or gold or anything by sure. playing it on lethal mode. So the incentive isn't really there, other than just being a masochist. So yeah. it, unfortunately, that's you know it. It is what it is. You can achieve everything you want to achieve outside of lethal mode, and probably enjoy yourself more. So I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm sure that like if you're good at lethal mode, it feels pretty awesome. Um, sometimes and I'm, I'm sure that you got to that point in occasion but then yeah you still have those annoying spear guys that you didn't even see because they were out of your camera and then all of a sudden they're like poke and you're dead yeah yeah <laughs> so it definitely goes both ways yeah. what did you think of the enemy types outside of that i thought that you know you got your four different combat forms so that was cool and as you realize like oh because at the beginning of the game like the shield guys really suck and then when you get that shield stance you're like oh heck yeah and then you begin to hope that that begins to happen with others and it does so that's cool and you're able to tackle each one and it makes you you know switch on the fly in the middle of the combat but um i did think at the end of the game it seemed like they were grasping for straws a little bit like they add the fire element and it just seems kind of little too little too late little tacked on to me um didn't pose as much of a threat on their end or on my end i mean you kind of mentioned yourself like lighting your own sword on fire wasn't as effective as you thought um what did you think of enemy types did you wish especially towards the end that there were more yeah i i i did because like by the time i got to the end of the game i had been you know final reputation you know being through the roof by about five hours of gameplay, which is a significant sure. amount of time. You know what I'm saying? It so is. like that's maybe five hours in the grand scheme of 67 isn't a big deal, but it just felt like maybe I should have been halfway through the final stance, the sixth stance. Um, and there's actually an enemy on Icky Island that's, uh, or Ikey Island. I don't even know. There's an enemy on Ikey Island. That's a big guy, but he has like a, a dual like sword. They're attached. He looks like Darth Maul, but with like Mongol version and like, uglier <laughs> and um he i don't know where what category to fight him in and first of all he uses all orange attacks so I, I end up cheesing him anyway but it's like where is there another stance i'm gonna unlock or or what yeah. like how am i gonna deal hmm. with this but you know yeah I, orange attacks yeah i don't know but kind, the, you can't kind of you can't do more than four because you have the wheel you have triangle circle square and x so you're stuck you know, yeah. so I kind of get it from from a gameplay perspective. Um, if you had a wheel situation like you do in Horizon Zero Dawn, you would have eliminated that problem. But then again, maybe you would have made a bigger problem for yourself because you would have tried to force too many things in there. I don't know. But yeah, the wheel, I almost feel like the wheel solution like, feels like really smooth, though. So I wouldn't have hated that. Yeah, it does. I almost feel like maybe not having split it up at all would have been the better thing long term. Like, instead of giving you four different stances, which the stances are cool, so don't get me wrong about that, but, like, maybe giving, like, oh, you get a skill point that you can use to unlock, okay, now I can take on spear people mm. and not make it, like, a constant thing in your combat, which would put it a little bit more in the vein of a row, which is you can deflect anything, 
you can block anything. Obviously, you're going to have your stamina hurt by it. Um, the goal is precision. Um, and this game just doesn't go for that. But I feel like it could have, and it might have been nicer. Because, personally, the orange attacks just are annoying. They don't... Like, the, it, it's not something that, like, I feel good about avoiding or um, having accomplished after I've defeated them. Like, having defeated that person. I don't, like, I'm not excited about it. It's just like, screw you. Like, that's the response I get. Like, when someone pulls out an unblockable attack and I have to dodge it, I'm like, screw you. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they and a lot of them pull it up a lot. And for a good chunk of the beginning of the game, before you've unlocked all your skill points, a lot of enemies have unblockable attacks. Um, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't care for that aspect. I think maybe... Uh, I'm just spitballing solutions here. If you had, because there's a couple of different unblockable attacks, right? Like think of your duels with the Ronin. There's one where they jump side to side, right? And then they come at yeah. you and that's a blue attack, right? But what if that was orange at first and you just unlocked another ability to parry that attack? Yeah, well, th- yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you use a skill point to like, oh, okay. Oh, I see, I see. Instead of it being a stance against spear people, you use a skill point to, okay, now I can um, stagger spear um, people. That's funny. I'm 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 laughing because you <laughs> we had the same idea, but I didn't realize you had my <laughs> I had your idea. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, I no, think I that mean, makes a lot of sense. I think it would yeah, I think it would have been an okay solution. Yeah. But they just went in a different direction with it. Which, you know, whatever. What did you think of the horse? So in Icky's Island you actually get oh you can use your extra resolve points that you're earning, um, and skill points to you can make your horse a battering ram essentially. Um, you can actually Ooh. run over enemies, and there's a, a point in the game in which they encourage you to do that. It's okay. It's a little stiff and clunky, but it's fine. Um, horse is cool. It's just sad when he dies, and then you have to oh, wait yeah. like a significant amount of time to pick another one. And yeah. it, it almost feels like that gap in the middle is like kind of weird. I know what you mean. Yeah. I do remember that. It's kind of like the the gap in between like dating two people and you're like kind of kissing every girl you find, you know, and it's like, (laughs) (laughs) not teasing. But like, I I didn't, like, yes, it's a brutally sad moment, but it's like, I I know I'm not supposed to hate Lord Sakai's men because, or uh, Lord Shimmer's men. I I know they're technically, they are what Jin wants the island to return to once he's done being the mm-hmm. ghost. I know this. So if you're if you're making me hate them because they killed my horse, it didn't quite work because I I know Jin doesn't hate them. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I felt like it was almost unnecessary. And also too, like loyal friends' grave, the point in which you you know the horse passes on and you bury him, you can fast travel to that point. There's also a, t- a town area just north of that that you can fast travel to, making that point irrelevant. So, uh, hmm. I don't know. There's a couple of different ways to look at it. I don't know. I felt like it was unnecessary to kill him off, but, you know, it is what it is. It is, I, it is. I did like riding the horse in general, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I think that was more, like, and each game takes a different twist on the horse, you know, uh, different way of summoning. I like the whistle, the <laughs> kind of look oh you nailed that did i yeah (laughs) i just kind of went for it yeah it was great no i love that like it's it sounded so cool every time i did think this one was like this is a very simple horse you know especially after elden ring it's hard to like you know um not want to go back to the double jump you know um 
I ha- okay, here's one thing about the horse that I just was very frustrated about. There's no auto run, Jared. Yes. There's no, like, yes. just stick to a path and go, which sucks for a game that looks as good as this yes, one. Yes, totally agree. That's a great point. You have to hold the stick forward and press X to run, or no, you press the stick down to run, and you're just, like, constantly having to do that to get to your objective. Like, why in the world didn't they put in an auto run when you're on a path or something? I don't... I didn't get why that wasn't there because you want to be able to just go and then just spin your camera around and look at your surroundings. Yes. And you can still kind of do that, but it's really freaking hard because you have to be pointing in the direction that you're running. So it sucks. Like I was like, oh, like it just didn't feel like the best video game horse that's out there, Uh, which is fine. You know, it's just a part of the game and they, I appreciate that they have a horse, but, um, and, and I did, like, low-key wish that it was more utilizing combat. But again, coming off of Elden Ring, maybe I'm just a little bit spoiled. I might just be a little bit spoiled from that. Well, he does um, feel weak. It's too easy to knock you off of him. Yeah. And then in combat, you can't remount him. So, it, you know, it's, it's all right, I'm off the horse now. Time to get ganked. Yeah. So, no, yep. I'm, I'm with you there. I Definitely not the best video game horse. I found it tedious to whistle and sometimes he wouldn't come. It's like, come on, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. There's a little, there's like a, some, like, and that's definitely one of those things that pulled me out of immersion. Yeah. Um, and we, we've talked about a couple of those things, like getting stuck on the geometry of the game that happens a lot in this one. Yeah. Um, and it's like, especially in like fighting situations, there were like one dude's up on a rock and you're like having a hard time jumping onto it. Oh, so frustrating. Yes. Um, so you just got to deal like that's just you got to deal with that sort of stuff. Um, last question I have, Jared, and this isn't really combat here, but how did you feel about the map and its open world implications? Um, kind of a question mixing two things here, the open world itself and then the map. Um, did you like it? Did you like because for me personally, like I think the map is elegant in that it's very minimalistic. You know, uh, the fog slowly clearing is cool. I like the question marks because it's not like it tells you what things are. Um, so, but it also like, if you run by something, it tells you like, oh, hey, go back in this direction. You missed something. Um, so that's cool. Like, I, I like that. I didn't really feel a huge urge to like fill it in. Um, and that's kind of just a reality with any sort of map that has a lot of markers on it, like an Assassin's Creed type map. I kind of just go from marker to marker. I'm not like, ooh. Like, it's not Elden Ring where you're looking at the map's details itself and trying to see, like, oh, what's yes. over there? That kind of looks like a lake or something. Yes. Like, there's there's nothing like that here. And, and then Elden Ring Open World 2 also, like, did awesome stuff where it would change what happened in the world. Like So, like, you'd have a, a falling star that totally just changed the map. Um, <laughs> it so took them about get seven patches to actually make that a thing, though. <laughs> As well as the bridge to Yarburg is now gone. For the longest time, it said there was a road beneath the um, oh, the to Yarburg, it, and there huh? never was a road. But they finally got rid of it in the latest patch. I did not. I th- I thought they were always going to keep that because it it made sense to me because it looked like it led to Yarburg. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I just remember the community talking about that a couple times. No, I, I think the map is beautiful and it's also not overwhelming. And for the most part, there's no uh, overlapping icon density. So even if two things are right next to each other, it's pretty easy to select the one that I want just by moving slightly. It's pretty responsive. And, you know, sometimes 
if an area is overwhelming, it's like it disinterests me from going there and exploring things because that literally just feels like I'm like house hopping and you can see each next event from the event that you were just at. But the landscape mm. is big enough and the map markers are like, you know, spread out enough. Like there's only um, 20 lighthouses, I think. I might have that wrong. There's only 20 lighthouses, including the DLC. That's plenty for how big this map is. There's uh, 49 Inari shrines, but they're so small that that's the perfect amount. There's so many hot springs, and they're marked by smoke, so they're pretty fun to find. And like Pillars of Honor, it, I didn't feel like things were on top of each other, which was really nice. And I didn't yeah. feel like I was being overwhelmed. Like When you unlock a fortress and there's a little poof on the map and you beat the Mongol camp, it only unlocks like two or three things around you, and then you're good. So if you just wanted to go, you know, fortress hopping and just do the surrounding icons, then you'd be perfectly fine, and it wasn't overwhelming. Um, so I, I thought the map was perfect. It's obviously not as Good. artistic as Elden Ring, but I really like the map um, as, yeah. as a function. I think it works well, and it, it gives you, at least I think that it gives you an urge to fill it in. Like, it actually compels you to, oh, I want to go see what's over on that coast, or... Um, obviously there's enough icons and it tells you where the camps are. Like once you leave an area, it'll show you where all the major camps are. So you can go, even if you haven't been in that part of that particular piece of the Island, um, you can go and fill it in. Yeah. Would you agree? Do you feel like it, it compelled you to explore and, and go and fill in the map itself? Well, absolutely. Um, I, I will say two things. One, uh, again, the golden bird feels like the game being too pushy. Because like you know it it, it <laughs> twitters and then you want to go follow it and then it's glitching all over the place or like because it's <laughs> it's trying to stay ahead of you by a certain amount it's just wiggling in the air because you're not moving fast enough. Um, yeah. Another thing is the foxes don't run at the same rate your horse runs, so you have to like sprint to catch up to it and then slow to a uh, a. Uh, or a canter and then sprint to catch yep. up to it so that's annoying no i would always just get off of my horse and run it was just yeah. a little bit yeah it was a simpler cadence to just run next to it yeah then you run out of stamina though. that's annoying um yeah so i'm, I'm but i'm with you there that i i did the most mostly the same um and then the the there's a bad design flaw which actually is a good segue because there's a couple ui things that bother me but the um the design flaw is that the foggy parts of the map look identical to the low level parts of the map. I don't know if you notice this, but like the beaches are almost white and that's because they're low level. They put the darker tones up for a higher elevation and it's a poor design because the fog is white. Like hmm. it looks like you haven't explored that area, but no, it's just water. It's a tributary at the top, you know, the North of the map or whatever. So it's not that you haven't explored it. It's that it's water. So that's a bad design flaw. Um, as far as everything else, though, I'm pretty pleased with, with the map. The, again, that wind, it really does, to, it's, it serves double duty as, one, easy to access, just swipe up on the trackpad. And I love that there's no combat things associated with a trackpad. You can either play your flute or, you know, do your... Wipe or, off your blade. Or wipe off your blade or bow. That's cool. You can get some, there's a, c- a couple cool, cool little um, things where if you bow, you'll see fish jumping around or frogs hopping around. That's fun. Um, and or play your flute, and I, I love that, or guide the wind. Um, so the wind serves as, uh, it sets the tone and the vibe, but it also... So mystically. Yes, I love that. I love the wind aspect, and I love wind anyway. I love the the wind outside Stormable Castle and stuff, and, and Elden Ring, and um, so that's just me. I'm a wind oh, guy. For a second, I thought you were talking about a real-world place. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you said that. But, uh, but yeah, I will say... Um, 
the the UI though, as far as like one, I don't understand why my charms aren't organized by what they do. Um, I had every time I got a new outfit and un- unlocked all the charms, I had to go scrolling. Through, all right, where is my charm of fortune level two? Mm, and it's, yeah, and no, I, I know what you mean. I yeah. don't want to go through the tedious process of selling the ones I don't want. That sounds stupid. I mean, I might use each one of them. There, I will give them this. Each charm is pretty useful. So unless you replace it with a better version of it, you probably will use it in a different build. Or some charms work better with other armors. You know, you can compensate for weaknesses or bolster strengths. You know, so I love the types of charms and the variety of charms. But like, they should be sorted by what they do. Um, and you know, some of those things like you have to click on your sword to put charms on, and but it's also listed next to your armor. So I, I don't know. It just we, Some of the things were like circular. You, you had extra buttons to do to click on options or go to charms, press L2 to go to charms as opposed to clicking on the sword and then uh, physically going to, I don't know. It just kind of, some of that stuff is redundant and it could have been organized a lot better. Um, I felt like my skill tree was underutilized. Like I didn't really notice myself using skill trees specifically um they were just kind of there um the, what do you mean by skill tree like the this technique points that you can unlock certain things with yeah but like what do you mean i, I guess i'm wondering what you mean by like underutilized because i felt like it gave you enough of like it, it unlocked different abilities and stuff that seems like they were worthwhile yeah i'm probably you're probably right i'm i'm just being nitpicky here i just felt like i didn't notice things <laughs> There, hmm, I guess I'm just being nitpicky and being annoying. But the I, I've my general sense was that I didn't notice the upgraded skill points in my everyday combat, other than extending things that I was already using, like chain attack being extended to three, as opposed to you know just one or two or something like that. So I mean, I felt like that was impactful though. Like, yeah, no, you're right. It did. I was excited to unlock that. And I think the stealth stuff, like they add a lot of really good stealth stuff through the skill trees. Yeah. So you get a lot of extra abilities from there. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts, Jared? Any other gripes, complaints that you wanted to bring up? No, I always feel like we end these conversations with me just complaining. (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) Well, you you get all the good stuff out at the front. (laughs) So that's just how it ends up working out. (laughs) All the gushing, yes. I um so if Elden Ring is an A plus, I say that this game is an A minus. I'd say, Hor- I'd say B plus. I'd say Horizon Zero Dawn for me is an A minus. I'd say God of War is like a B, maybe B plus. Um, hmm. You know, these are like what I'm thinking in my in my mind. These comparisons and it, for the, the should we put should we implement a rank like a scale? I don't know. Some kind? Sometimes I feel like my in, my impression of a game is based on my mood too, <laughs> and I don't know if I hey, can I fix mean, that. Yeah, that's a part of it. Now, maybe, I try to be objective, but I totally agree. Like even in this case, like playing through Ghosts, like a lot of the things I'm bringing up, it's like, oh, but it's not Elden Ring. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, now I would say that some of the things that so let's think back to some of our reasoning. Like the reason we put Fortnite into the Hall of Games is not because it was the best battle royale. I think that actually goes to Apex personally. Um, 
in terms of like complexity, speed, aggressiveness, all the different stuff. I, I would say that in terms of, uh, but we put Fortnite in because of the culture that it created and the pop culture icon and hosting live concerts right. in game. Like there's other reasons than just maybe your daily grind to put a game into the Hall of Games. And I personally think that like the storyline in Ghost of Tsushima is better than Sekiro. It's more compelling. Oh yeah. Way more characters, uh, a, a much better balance between light and heavy. And a- this might sound bad, Jared, but I think that's because this was written by an American developer. <laughs> Oof. It just resonates with us a little bit better. Like uh, quite frankly, like a lot of the like um, plot points and like character developments feel not American, but like they just, they don't feel Japanese. If that makes sense. Mm. I don't know why that is Mm. like, it doesn't feel like an anime. (laughs) I don't know if you'd agree. (laughs) Maybe I'm like offending way too many people by saying my head off. Cause I just had a mental image pop in, you know, Ooh, ooh, you know, it's not Japanese enough. Um, Chibi, yeah, ghost, exactly. Ghost yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> can you, yeah, can you imagine if there was like animation breaks where they went to Chibi mode <laughs> in the panel? Oh my goodness, that would be hilarious. That actually. would be absolutely hilarious, especially with Kenji, like em, just emotes yeah, like yeah. halfway through cinematic shots. Now, but again, the but the parrying, the combat in Sekiro is more pure and I think better mm-hmm. because it's simpler, right? But I think Ghost of Tsushima does tactical assassin assassination stuff better than some other games that i've played um sure yeah no and quite frank like we didn't talk enough about the stealth in this game i don't think um that's a whole other conversation uh i think that the stealth is really really well done here i i would agree that one of the reasons i didn't bring up stealth and not that i made a conscious decision but to be honest with you towards the end of my playthrough i really was just tanking through a lot of people i was just like just wrecking them. Just I hit the standoff button every time towards the end of my mm. playthrough. So I really wasn't doing stealth a ton um, towards the end of it. It was more like just you know wrecking people as much yeah. as I could. But no, you're yeah. you're totally right. If you um, did, you think stealth was better in this game than in Assassin's Creed or some other games you played? Yes, better than Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed has not had the best stealth for some time now. I think ever since they really started going for the more modern kind Mm. since origins it's not been quite the same on that level um there are better stealth games uh dishonored comes to mind right away obviously that game is built for stealth like that is the way to play that game uh splinter cell obviously but batman arkham asylum and arkham city i think are better at stealth actually yes no yeah absolutely i think the batman games are a little bit better than this but i do like it i think it was fun it was for me personally, even by the end, and I think part of why you probably felt like you could just tank through people is because you, I do think like by the end of this game, you are straight up a god. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just, you're just going to blaze through stuff. But personally, I still enjoyed trying to pick people apart and I liked that it, like, you know, like you get stuff that indicates like, oh, if you, if you kill this person, it's going to alert the people around yep. you. Yep. Um, and little things like that. So you can begin to strategize in a lot of fun ways. And I, I just liked doing that. I didn't need to do it, especially towards the end, but I liked doing it. Yeah. I, uh, but I liked it. I thought it was good. Mongol, it's funny, too, because my strategy changed. If I was rescuing a place that was going to turn into a village, like Kuta Farmstead or a village, like 
stealth was absolutely the way to go because I had buildings, I had high wires, mm-hmm. I had hawks circling above. But if it was a Mongol camp, just like the little tents standing around, I was going in there mm. guns blazing <laughs> almost every yeah. time. Looking for the Mongol leader, get least... the slaughter, get ghost mode to take out the three heaviest dudes and then move from there. Yeah. That's the way. To... No, yeah, I would try to kill archers first typically and then I would be fine to just jump into the fray. Yeah. Just because archers annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good stuff. So what do you think, Jared? Overall, do you feel like this is a Hall of Games candidate? Or do you think that despite maybe some of its impressive things, it's more just open world RPG? It is more open world RPG, but I do think that we need to go the Fortnite approach with this game. And by that, I mean two things specifically. Storytelling in this game is A+. Hands down, A+, some of the best side characters and the most in-depth stories. I mean, seriously, side characters had part one of nine, part nine of nine, part seven of nine. Like, great episodic storyline NPCs, side quests, much more in-depth than anything you would get in Skyrim. Not as much in quantity, but quality for sure there. Storytelling and side quests and, and characters and voice acting, narrative, fantastic. Setting the mood, cinema, um, medieval Japan, period piece, these are all A++, A++, A++. It, fail, it falls short in combat. Um, it's a little generic in some other, other areas. Vanity Gear is okay, but it's not perfect. It's not unlimited. Um, and some of the like glitches here and there, like these are all C-level, B-level things. But, but again, if anyone is going to do a period piece game, I want it to be Sucker Punch because of how impressive they mm. were in this game. And because of that, I think it deserves to be in the Hall of Game because I think anyone can enjoy this game on hard mode, uh, enjoy all of its aspects, or find something in the game to enjoy. Um, oh, fun little fact. If you do all the hot springs, Jin gets uh, a loincloth and has a drunk quote that says, a samurai is still a samurai without clothes. And it's like, quote, Jin Sakai. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> and you can like you can ride around in just your loincloth, your whatever else. So like there's heart in this game, there's passion, there's some there's some um hominess to it. It's it's deep respect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. If anyone's gonna do a period piece or do a deep dive into a culture and a specific time in history, I want it to be Sucker Punch. They did such a good job. That's why I think this game should be in the Hall of Games, Josh. I I would agree. I think it should be in the Hall of Games. Just from its visuals alone, yeah. it could probably make it into the Hall of Games. Gorgeous, gorgeous game. But yeah, the story really delivers. Sucker Punch is known for its, I, I think personally, and maybe people disagree, but I think their story beats and their their character development, like, and they do that in their side characters as well. Uh, the Infamous series, and I, I, I wonder if we should cover that at some point, Jared. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, but... You get these these guys that, yeah, just like in Ghost, they're with you the whole game. Um, and you don't see that in very many games. Like in Fallout, you play one side quest and the guy goes and he robs his friend and then tries to double cross you or whatever. And then you're done with that guy. Yeah. And then you move on to like the next 100 different NPCs. And same thing in Assassin's Creed. Same thing, like you said, in Skyrim. Uh, Elden Ring does a little bit better of a job, you know, like some from software games keep those guys around a little bit longer, but this is like, no, we built specific character arcs. Mm. We built like long horse rides where they're 
dialoguing and telling you about themselves and it's it's good stuff the entire time oh yeah like all of that is a talent like you can't get that from every developer um so they bring that here and then the story that that through line of the honor of the samurai and and ghost breaking that or Jin as ghost breaking that and what that means Mm -hmm. fantastic beautiful poignant ending I don't know how they're going to top this game, honestly. Like, this is one of those games I'm like, oh my gosh, I almost don't want a sequel. Like, you did so well. I don't know if you would agree with that, but... It doesn't need a um, sequel. It doesn't need one. No. The DLC is perfect. And I think they're making one, unfortunately. Oh, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, not unfortunately. I'll probably play it and enjoy it, but... Dude! Part of me does wish they tried something different. Dude! In a di- okay, and we didn't even talk about Legends mode. You're right. Oh no my- multiplayer that we talked about. Dude. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's give it a couple moments. Okay. Let's give it some, some Legends yeah, mode time. for the folks out there listening. Legends mode is where you can co-op with your buddies and take on like samurai or partner up with on the online samurai to take on hordes of Mongol armies, waves, right? Like zombie version, but samurais. You can uh, kind of capture the flag some points. You can duel. You can strike. Dude, some of the most fun multiplayer I've ever had was is on Legends mode. It is some of the most fun stuff. I, dude. I can't believe we didn't even talk about it. Uh, that's how good this game is. Is that there's so much else to talk about that. But if it, that definitely is an A plus, like that is some of the best multiplayer I've ever played in my life. So much fun. I totally agree. Uh, couldn't couldn't praise it more. It's it's the horde mode that you want. Yes. In any video game, and it's it's done very well. It's surprising how well the combat systems and stuff yes. works in a multiplayer setting. Yeah, surprising. It's almost even better. Yeah. Um. So great, great addition. Did they did not need to add that? That was not the base game. They added that later, and it works super duper well. Um, so yeah, go try that. Um, and I think Ghost makes it into the Hall of Games. I mean, I think we could, ch- could chunk this yes, and sir. put it in there. I think that this is Sucker Punch's finest game, which is insane to me because Infamous Two specifically is in my top five games of all time. Ooh. So. For them to top that with Ghost is crazy. I don't know if I'd put Ghost in there just because Infamous 2 is a little bit more of a personal thing for me. Sure, sure. But it just objectively is uh, leaps and bounds above what they've done in the past. And for them to pull off so many different things that like you would not expect an American developer, a smaller American developer, without the resources or pedigree of an open world mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. like this uh, to pull off is fantastic. So... Yeah, I say we give it the nod. We add it into the Hall of Games. I'm curious, Jared, to see later. We're going to be doing our reaping of the Hall of Games, so I'm excited to have that conversation. Um, I've got a couple thoughts on uh, what we may be able to replace and what we may be able to add in, but we'll see how that goes. Otherwise, thanks for taking the time to listen. We're going to wrap this up a long Dude, episode. But, but I, we had well a lot spent. to say about like, this game. Every second of this was enjoyable. Two hours and fifty minutes of like literally um just great content i feel like we really gave this game a good shake and i i I love this podcast yeah absolutely i totally agree i'm excited to go back and edit it and find all the weird mouthy breathy sounds that i'm gonna try to edit out (laughs) there shouldn't be a ton on my end i was trying to be very careful but you might hear my cat (laughs) meowing in the background maybe a couple times i definitely had a couple of like suppressed burps (laughs) that i had to 
So I'll have to go back and edit those out. But nonetheless, thanks for listening. We are going to be covering Super Mario Sunshine in our next episode, so be looking out for that. I am very excited about that episode. Sunshine is such an interesting mm-hmm. game, and I am interested, Jared, now that you have gotten back into games, when you go back to revisit something from your past, I'm curious to see how it goes. But uh, otherwise, thank you for taking the time to listen. If you like the podcasts, give our uh, podcast a like. Follow us on Twitter, on our social media. You can also reach out to us via askvgb at gmail.com. If you disagreed with our decision to put this in the Hall of Games, can't imagine why you would. Uh, drop us a five-star review. Tell us why, though. Any thoughts that you have and why you think you might disagree with something that we said, feel free to reach out and do exactly that. Uh, and we will see you for episode number 35. Jared? Final thoughts. Well, you can, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually rate us on Spotify. So you can give us five stars. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can give us five stars on Spotify if you're not using Apple Music, and we'd really appreciate that. Uh, and other final note, play the DLC. It's also worth it. Definitely a great addition to the game as well. Yeah, I'm not done playing this game. I'm going to jump into the DLC specifically, which was not fun to play the entry uh, mission of early on <laughs> with the freaking shamans. Yeah. I just did not have enough tools at my disposal. Uh, but I'm looking forward to playing that. I had not touched it before, and now that I saw that they added a good amount of stuff to it, I'm I'm excited to uh, play through that entirely. So, um, nonetheless, this is the video game bard and his good friend, the casual, the mercenary. Uh, <laughs> you might be upgrading even further, Jared. We'll see. <laughs> the development is continuing to this day. So. Uh, Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you guys all next time.